there's a weird pattern in this set too. I, I feel like most of the borderless arts are worse art than the regular art. I agree with that. Everything but the sword, pretty much. I, I like the Ragavan. I actually like both Ragavans. Yeah, both Ragavans are good. I I slightly prefer the regular border one, but they're both good. I like the Titania, I, but I like both of them mm -hmm. is the problem. So I would never say someone's wrong for saying that one's better. Uh, the rest, eh, whatever. Yeah. Especially the elementals. I think the elementals look really boring when they're in full art. They're just like wisps of color. There's two Howard Lyon borderless ones, and I just generally don't love his art because he's not very good at making people like positioned like human beings would be. There's not like gravity doesn't really function properly in Howard Lyon's world. I like that he he does a lot of land art, like he did Fable Passage, mm -hmm. and I think he's really good. At that. Yeah, he's good at those. I think anything that just doesn't have a person in it, he's like much better off getting those art descriptions. But you know, like his Imperial Recruiter looks pretty awkward. His Savala, I, I just don't think is very strong. Like neat colors and composition, but then you look at the actual character and you're like, oh no, she looks really uncomfortable right there. And this Chatterfang art, the Borderless one is like an identical art description. I mean, maybe they all are identical art descriptions, but it like the take is basically identical to the regular one. Like the colors are... They're like in the same pose. Yeah. Uh, I, there's got to be only so many ways you can draw a squirrel though, right? But like, you know... The, the the regular one could be, yeah, he's, like, dashing down a tree, but then, you know, the borderless one could be, like, Chatterfang at rest. You know, he could be, like, you know, what is he doing yeah. when he's not actively, like, charging you? Ch Chatterfang, sleeping on a normal-sized sword. Or just, like, planning. Like, clearly he plans things. Clearly? Generals have to oh, plan okay. things. Just have him, like, over a map with his squirrel advisors around him looking down at the map as he's, like, pointing out battle lines and stuff. That's the Chatterfang I want to see. Actually, you know, looking at it now, I do prefer the borderless Raghavan to the regular one. Just the the colors, the way the trove treasure trove is used to frame him and stuff. It's just that one is really well done. That's lovely. I, I also like the treasure token that Raghavan makes. Mm -hmm. Because it's different than the normal treasure. It's very Kaladeshi, and it's got like knickknacks of stuff he's like snatched. Oh, that's cool. I I appreciate that. Like one of the best cards in the set is just a monkey that steals. Yeah, it's nice. Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 199 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. What's going on? Lee, it's time to time? talk about Modern Horizons 2. Again, I feel like we've like... been doing that the last uh, couple of weeks, though. We have. It's true. You caught me. But we get to do the full-on set review. Yeah, so this is uh, the same as Strixhaven, right? Where we're going to struggle to come up with cards and really just try to make some categories compressed so we don't have to work so hard. Rather than going over, like, all of the cards in the set, which, you know, 
all of the constructed playable cards in a Modern Horizons 2 set is like 70% of the cards or something like that. All of the cards with potential constructed viability. But we do want to go a little bit deeper than just like our overall top eight lists or whatever. So we're going to do our normal thing, which is top five cards for each color. Hopefully we've branched out and our individual proclivities have made our lists a little bit different so we can talk about a few more cards than just five from each color and i also made a note in my lists of some cards that i think are overrated in the colors that some of which made my top five but i still think that they're overrated because people think they're better than they actually are it's, it's possible for a card to be good and overrated at the same time i have a list of cards i wanted to mention Mm -hmm. Just if we, if neither of them, neither of us put it on the list. So that could be like my, my overrated section. Yeah, I think that's fair. There, there, there are cards that just like are with saying like, hey, this does this thing or it's going to stand out somehow or has potential, but not necessarily in the top five for a color. No real strict rules on how we handle this. Like we don't even have a particular definition of like what the top five means. Is it the top, the best cards or the cards we're most excited about or the cards that are going to change the formats the most but i just picked five cards with uh i know at least for me i did an obvious slant towards modern because this is modern horizons 2 right so primarily modern focused not worried yeah. about legacy or mistress workshop excuse me vintage <laughs> i mean we're gonna mention legacy a little bit should we just go ahead and start do you want to do your white top five first or should i do my white top five first I'll, I'll start off on white. Okay. Okay, so going five to one, like all good countdowns. Oh, yeah, we're not counting up. We're counting down to number one. So number five for white, I have Solitary Confinement. Mm -hmm. It's a reprint from Judgment. I guess I could read it. I don't know if we want to read the reprints or not. Uh, we might as well. This is from a long time ago. A lot of listeners did not play with or against this card at any point. I barely played with or against this card. I just am aware of it. Yeah, I've actually never played a single game with this card. Yeah. But what it is is a, a 2W enchantment. At the game of your upkeep, you have to sacrifice it unless you discard a card. You have to skip your draw step. Uh, the upside for all of that is that you have Shroud and you prevent all damage that would be, be deal, dealt to you. So you're in a little bubble. And this card is... I, I just think this is... There's a lot of enchantment stuff going on in this set, especially... Mm -hmm. A lot of room to start looking at Utopia Sprawl Enchantressy stuff. Yeah. And Solitary Confinement's number five, because I don't know if that's good enough to get there. But Solitary Confinement itself is kind of a super prisony, hard to deal with card. Like it's an enchantment, which is hard to deal with card type. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think it's got what it takes if we can find a build and pieces to kind of just lock people out the way that the old Lantern decks did back when Mox Opal was a thing. Mm -hmm. like maybe there's something there yeah i could see that and this is just one of the lock pieces it's probably not even really a central piece of the deck it's going to be the most frustrating piece mm -hmm. when it's relevant because like what on earth is this design like they don't print cards like this anymore and that's for a, a bunch <laughs> of like really good reasons but it will be you know it's it's the ensnaring bridge of the enchantment deck where ensnaring bridge was the ensnaring bridge of like the word deck but you, you just need a thing that's going to stop certain things from killing you 
and you need all of those options available in your deck, each of the prison pieces for whatever your opponent is doing, this stops the burn decks, the humans decks, whatever, from, from killing you. It's not just about everything, because if you wanted to play enchantment decks, and mostly I'm thinking of Enduring Ideal, which mm-hmm. is a card that tutors an enchantment every turn, uh, those decks locked people out with, oh, what was that card from Return to Ravnica? It's kind of like a ghostly prison, but it's for each enchantment you control. I think it's called Sphere of Safety. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. Something like that, yeah. But basically, it didn't do very much if your opponent was like attacking with a creature, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could just die to them. But solitary confinement's no tax, no nothing. You just can't be damaged. Right. You have to discard a card every turn, so you have to mitigate that somehow. That's like the challenge of that card. Yep. Uh, but it's super cheap, and there's a lot of ways to get around that. Yeah, it's just like this isn't a lock piece against like a deck with Karn the Great Creator in it, or a deck that is, you know, you know, doing big whatever things that don't involve killing you with a creature to end the game. Against a lot of decks, it is a pretty powerful lock piece, so definitely worth talking about. And it's just a number five. Like it's there mm-hmm. were several good cards in white. I think the the top four in my list is way better than solitary confinement. There's like a, a little bit of a gap there. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to like give it its little due there. I've got the same gap, so I imagine our top four cards are the same thing. So my number four is uh Sanctifier Invent. Okay. This is a white white two two human cleric with pro black and pro red. Uh, when Sanctifier enters the battlefield, exile all cards that are black or red from all graveyards. And if a black or red permanent spell or card not on the battlefield would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. So it's got like a ley line of the void effect for black or red cards. In addition to the rest in peace, exile everything when it comes to play type deal. Yep. I, uh, it's mostly black and red cards that you want to keep out of the graveyards, so... Yeah, those are the best ones. Like, if you ever look at any graveyard set, like uh, Amonkhet Odyssey block, it's always black, red, and green that have way, the way most to do with the graveyard. And then blue and white are just, like, along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And the black and red cards are really the most busted, usually. Yeah. I mean, right now we are dealing with a Feasting Troll King epidemic. That card is not exiled by Sanctifier Envec. But generally, you know, this card against Dredge gets all of the important stuff they can life from the loam all that they want but they're never conflagrating so who cares yeah no creeping chills no stink items no amalgams kind of just nothing yeah uh, this card's really hard to deal with for those decks too because it has pro red and pro black and it stops their engines from working mm-hmm. so if you want to deal with this you really have to do something and blast zone out of dredge is not good enough like it is for sometimes Oriac champion where you could just outgrow it right i mean maybe if they're running a lot of blast zones after board or something like that but i can't think of any other way for them to deal with this card yeah this is a haymaker it's it's a sideboard card mostly in matchups where it doesn't have text it's mostly a 2-2 with protection from some colors right just not great for modern but when it when it has relevant text it is going to be probably the most important card in the game yeah, I mean, Dredge traditionally sideboards in Lightning Axe to deal with creatures that mess with it, and Nature's Claim to deal with non-creature permanents that mess with it. It doesn't have answers to this unless it starts playing some really different cards, which it might have to. Yeah, and it's like flexible answer for saving sideboard slot was like Assassin's Trophy. That doesn't Which work also either. doesn't deal with this card. Right. I honestly, like, I'm not thinking of... I'm sure there's something out there, but, you know, like... 
blast zone is the only thing that fits in the deck's strategy anyways but like you can't i guess engineered explosives or something like that which is not like a good card in the deck but you may have to do it the the fun part about ever since i've been looking at tournament data after this card has been out uh the living it has been more popular and because you can just discard strike river winders and stuff like that and just put blue creatures into your graveyard bring yeah. them back and attack with them which is super funny that it, this card is really good against graveyard decks. It's not good against but that living in only deck. specific kinds right, of right. You know, graveyard decks. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. And then it also just dies to the living end, so it doesn't even it doesn't accomplish very much in that matchup. Yeah, yeah. You get the street wraith because it's a full on rest in peace for street mm-hmm. wraiths, but yeah. No, no curator of mysteries, no river winders, none of that nonsense. Yep. Oh, and it's also a human. Just to point that out. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Also a human, which, you know, maybe humans makes a comeback. I don't know if I see it yet, but it's a relevant creature type. I mean, humans is entirely based on what is going on in the metagame. If Lava Darts leave the metagame and then Broken Decks enter the metagame, humans could very easily end up in a good spot. So, because humans traditionally beats up on Broken Decks pretty well. I have Prismatic Ending as my number three, mm-hmm. which honestly I may have a little too low. I've been really high on this card ever since I've seen it in action. Uh, this is an XW Sorcery. Uh, exile target non-land permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast that spell. Uh, it's a little weird. So at base value, it's a white mana to kill a one drop, a one or less drop, and it exiles it, which is huge. And then if you want to pay more mana for it, you can pay up to however much mana you want, because it's kind of like engineer explosives in that regard. This card's just super versatile, super good. Unlike mm-hmm. Path to Exile, it deals with early, early threats and doesn't put you incredibly far behind. Yeah. I, I mean, you can get a Swiss Spear with it. You can get a Sprite Dragon with it. Like, you can get a Ren and Six with it. I, you can get an Aether Vial with it. You can get a Construct Token with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it get Cookbooks which is relevant nowadays. It is really relevant. It gets uh, Asmore for one mana. Like, th- this card just hits a lot of stuff. And the only drawback really is that it's a sorcery. This is a good removal spell in the vein of Fatal Push, where it it's really good at what it does, but it has obvious restrictions in... It's got cap. Yeah. Like, you're not really going to be playing this in four or five color decks all that often, because there's just usually better options in other colors. Right. But... It's really good and really cost efficient for the range it has. Right. You're never getting like a a mana differential based blowout the way that you do sometimes the way that you're like aiming for with Fatal Push and Lightning Bolt. Like that's part of the game plan of those kinds of decks. But blue eye control type decks aren't necessarily aiming for that. You're fine trading resources on parity. You're not trying to like flip the tempo around at any point. You're just fine just... They play a card, you kill it. They play a card, you kill it. They play a card, you counter it, and then you play it to fairy. Done. I've seen Prismatic Ending be played in like Ephemerate decks too, mm-hmm. where it's just uh, those decks are chock full of card advantage. Like Ephemerate, the card is just a draw like four cards usually. <laughs> so they'll spend mana just to one for one you to get like problematic stuff off the table and then mm-hmm. recoup that card advantage later. Similar philosophy to the control deck that's just one for one yeah. until they get a Planeswalker down, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this card's great. It solves so many problems. It is, I think it is for the reactive decks, a similar 
type of thing as like Skyclave Apparition was for the creature decks. Just solves a lot of your problems. Oh, Skyclave Apparition. What a great card. <laughs> it's it's not bad. White's getting a couple of tools. Sanctum Prelate. One and a white, white. One white, white, so three mana total for a 2-2 two, two human cleric. As Sanctum Prelate enters the battlefield, choose a number. Non-creature spells with mana value equal to the chosen number can't be cast. Yeah, this card is really good. I thought it was really good, and then I keep seeing it in play. Usually, like, I've been watching a lot of streams, and it's usually in play on the opponent's side, and it's just doing, like, really gross stuff. You don't really appreciate it when you're watching the player with the Zinctum Prelate, mm -hmm. because, you know, you're, the opponent's just, like, not doing stuff. They can't do stuff. But when you're watching a stream and the opponent has Zinctum Prelate and you just can't cast anything in your hand, it's like, oh, god, this card is messed up. Uh, the first time I played against Sanctum Prelate was in Legacy. I was playing Storm, and they picked oh four, so I just <laughs> couldn't, couldn't win. win. I couldn't massacre. I had I, I drew, my next draw step was massacre because it was against mm -hmm. Death and Taxes, mm -hmm. uh, and that was really painful. <laughs> <laughs> Cuts off your win condition and your removal spell that happens to cost four mana. Yes, brutal. It's free, but I couldn't cast it. Yeah, absurd. Yeah, this card is really strong. It also has relevant creature type human. Mm -hmm. Uh, which honestly it's is... not the most important part of the card mm -mm. like it's nice it's a nice bonus to have and humans is absolutely going to run this in some numbers but the ability is strong enough that like the human text is not necessarily that important uh relevantly this is a global rule setting effect it doesn't just affect the opponent mm -hmm. so Decks that want to play this card are usually going to be playing creatures anyway, because this doesn't affect creatures. You can still play whatever you want as long as it's a creature. And that's... And I, I like that it powers up those kind of decks, like the white creature decks, because those are... Uh, they definitely got an uptake with Skyclave Apparition, but they weren't on the level of still the other decks in Modern. Mm -hmm. And I think this set has done a lot to kind of save that, with Sanctifier Infect and Sanctum Prelate especially. Sure. Yeah, cards are just really good. Like, I saw it earlier today. I think I was watching Doomwake, and he was playing against humans, I think. Actually, he was playing against Heliod, and there was just a point where he was like, okay, we gotta draw Karn. And then his opponent just played Sanctum Prelate, named number four, and Doomwake was like, okay, we're dead. <laughs> just had no outs left in the deck, and that was it. It's all she wrote. Yep. All right, my number one is not gonna be a surprise. It's Solitude. Sure. Uh, three white white elemental incarnation for three two flash lifelink creature. Uh, it does not have flying though it looks like it does every time it's in play, and I still trip up on that. <laughs> when Zoltu enters the battlefield, you can exile up to one other target creature. Uh, that creature's controller gains life equal to its power, and you can evoke it by exiling a white card from your hand. This is, in my opinion, by far the best of the pitch cards in this set. Uh, it's just. <laughs> kind of obnoxiously good and yep. has not failed to impress me in gameplay like if you just start playing a turn you play your creatures out you pass your opponent just solitudes you and then i've seen the solitude ephemerate thing too which is just disgusting plague wind. It, yeah it gets three creatures and that's ridiculous yep I was watching Dom go through his games where one of his opponents did that to him and he accidentally just played another creature while the ephemerate <laughs> was on rebound and it just comes back and kills the creature he's like uh uh that's 
Yeah, if you no, don't, if you don't have the exile window popped open, it's really easy to forget that an ephemerate is happening. At least in paper magic, it's sitting there, like on to- on top of your opponent's deck or whatever. But on Moto, if you don't have that box up and you like checked out for a second, you might just miss it. It's something you miss once, and you're like, "Oh no, I'm really dumb. That was completely that on me." It's probably true, but it's still that that combination is really strong. And Solitude goes naturally into those Ephemerate decks because they play a bunch of white cards. Because white, unsurprisingly, is the best color at like, enters the battlefield effects. Mm-hmm. When everyone was talking about Grief, which will be you know talked about later, Ephemerate, everyone was doing the Scryfall searches to see what the good black cards were other than Typhoon's color, the Youth Flicker. And they're just like aren't any at all. Right. But white has... So- I saw a 5-0 list with Dusk Legion Zealot in it, is how deep people are reaching. Yeah, to the best we can work. do is bad Elvish Visionary yeah. add a black card that we can pitch to Grief. Yeah. Uh, that that has made me skeptical of the Grief decks, but we, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Solitude, I think, is just an excellent card in general. It, like, it's a, a good rate creature. Uh, 5 mana 3 2 flash, flash Lifelink is whatever, but it's a Shriek as well. And then the fact that you can just play it when you're tapped out whenever yeah. uh, is super silly. Yes. Unlike Grief... They invested mana into the thing that you are getting. Like, that was their turn one or their turn two, and you solitude it out of the way and go on with your life. If you get your Ether Vial up to five, you can put the solitude in, and then you can put your uh, Yorion in, blink the solitude, blink the vial. Like, there's a lot of really good things to do here. Solitude is really powerful. At the end of the show, we're going to have to give our silly rankings in order of the elementals, but... It's completely meaningless, but everybody's doing it, so so we kind of have to. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> I I will say that the saddest solitude play I've seen uh, was someone had their like their amulet draw where they went turn one Urza Saga, fetched out the amulet on turn three, and then played Real Titan, gave a haste attack, or went to combat, and then it got exiled. The opponent was completely tapped out. <laughs> Just exile a white card, solitude your Real Titan. Whew, that's a that's a rough one. Yeah, and I I like the positioning of Amulet right now. I think it's a good deck, but that situation alone is like really really brutal for Amulet to have to deal with. Yeah, it's not fun. Though we'll we'll talk about some Amulet stuff later. Yes, that, that deck got really good. Yeah, it really did. Uh, my top five is extremely similar to yours. My number five card is different. In that slot, I have Resurgent Belief. It has no mana cost. It has Suspend 2 for 1 and a white. And the text is Return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's just such an efficient... Like, you don't need to Cascade into this no mana cost spell to make it good. You can Suspend it, and then it happens two turns later. Like, Suspend 2 is pretty short. And if you're getting a powerful enough effect out of it, very easy to enable with just uh, Cast Outs, Shark Typhoons... And Lay Claims, if you want to do it that way, there's a Legacy deck. that Not a real Legacy deck, but there's sort of a Legacy deck that does that with Replenish. Maybe in Modern, that is something you want to do. Uh, if you want to Cascade into this, you certainly can. Maybe your deck generally suspends this, but you just also have some Cascade cards in there. But just the effect is really powerful. I don't know that it's probably not going to be like in the Enchantress deck that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it's relatively easy to abuse with those cyclers or if you want to discard 
overwhelming splendors and whatever you could pr- try to do something like that too yeah i i like re- like this card that it is a replenish but i was kind of held back by the hoops because mm-hmm. you enchantments are kind of hard to get into the graveyard and it's in a color that doesn't do graveyardy stuff very well yeah like you can't stitch your supplier into a bunch of enchantments that's a super weird deck i mean i guess you can't <laughs> you but. technically can <laughs> you can cookbook away the enchantments in your hand but right like where, you, where are you going from there exactly uh that's kind of what helped me back it is really strong so if someone can fit figure out like a coherent shell for resurgent belief mm-hmm. I, I think that's good but it doesn't really fit with the whole cascade into a a zero cost card or as foretold into it because you need additional setup beyond those cards i mean i don't hate as foretold into it necessarily because an as foretold deck could be a shark typhoon deck like that's not completely undoable yeah i think the card as foretold works well in resurgent belief tiles mm-hmm. but yeah. i don't i meant more like the strategy of i'm gonna combine my as foretold with my zero cost spell and that's how we win the game kind right, of deal. right 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 but if you can come up with a deck where they're both good cards and then when you draw them together, then you do some magic, then, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be into that. But yeah, this is just my number five. And then my top four are the same as yours. Are they in the same order? I'm no, curious. not not quite the same order. My number four is also Sanctifier Envec. My number three is Sanctum Prelate. My number two is Prismatic Ending because I think that card is really, really good. And my number one is Solitude. Okay. Yeah, I... I... I said I was underrating Prismatic Ending as putting it number three, but I, I mean it's hard to choose between them. It's like splitting hairs. We're in a weird spot with evaluating it too, because like my evaluation of Sanctum Prelate is like entirely for modern because it's already in Legacy, doing stuff in Legacy. My rating of Prismatic Ending takes into account the fact that it's going to get run in Legacy. <laughs> So it's getting that bonus, and that's a little bit unfair for that comparison. But, like, I've seen people tweeting about it being quite good in Legacy, answering threats really efficiently, answering a wide variety of threats. There is no Ren and Six to kill in Legacy anymore, but there's plenty of cheap stuff to take out. Do you want to mention overrated cards per section or just, like, kind of at the end? Uh, I think by section. Because, okay. like, this is the point where people will be like, but where is Esper Sentinel? And Well, that's the one I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So I just don't think that this card is very good. I, I think that people are going to try it in some decks. I've seen it get played a little. Like, I saw Aspiring Spike play it in a, a Stoneblade deck. And it looked, like, okay. But it was mostly being a Thraben Inspector that maybe draws the card and then you don't have to pay the mana to crack your clue. But it didn't do a lot more than that it was cute that you could equip it with like a batter skull and then they'd have to pay five but also his opponent just did sometimes because they just had a lot of mana and cast a removal spell and paid five the thing that people are missing is that this is a punisher mechanic and your opponent gets to choose it's not taxing them it's not preventing them from doing anything i i I just i don't see it yeah i i feel similarly about this card it just doesn't it's like you this card basically reads to me uh it's a one one artifact for one and then every other turn you may draw a card because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stop creatures at all it only just stops spells it doesn't mm-hmm. stop them the air quotes on stop it just kind of taxes them a little bit if your opponent doesn't want to pay it yeah i have seen spots where i do like this card and that's actually just mostly in Hammer Time, where they want cheap artifacts to turn on Metalcraft and have Springleaf Drum active. Mm-hmm. 
they don't really care about the card quality. They actually just want the 1-1 one, one artifact, and it has some minor upside. So anything like that I'm cool with. Uh, if you're trying to, like, soup up your Thali account in, like, your taxes deck, I think this card is horrible at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just spending cards to not really see a return at that point, I think. Like, e- even in humans, where this is clearly not a Thalia, and it still can be pumped by Thalia's lieutenant, mm-hmm. it just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I don't think so. It's not a good one drop. And you can get your card advantage from, like, your threes, which are, have a, there's several good threes in this set for humans. I think if it does anything, it's generally going to be because of the artifact type. And because there's only so many decent artifact creatures, you know, like Affinity was a good deck and was playing pretty bad one drops just because they have the artifact type. Like, you know, Vault Scourge beat Burn, but it's not a good card. The, the best cards in uh, Affinity were always like Cranial Plating, Ravager, right. Mox Opal, just the cards that oh, you've got artifacts on the table? Let me use those. Yeah. Not, like, the actual artifact. Like, Mox Opal and Ravager were obviously artifacts, but... Yeah, but, you're, I mean, Springleaf Drum and Vault Scourge and Signal Pest are not, like, mighty forces. They're just artifacts that happen to be very cheap. And there's a proud tradition in Modern of broken decks playing cheap, bad artifacts to enable their good cards. And I think we're moving to a spot where Watsi's more willing to print like color artifacts that are actually kind of good mm-hmm. so that we have fewer okay i guess i gotta play like 20 bad artifacts in my deck so urza's insane yeah eventually you'll just get to the point where you know maybe urza's too good because now we're just playing all good artifacts in our deck and i don't i don't think as percentiles that card but it's moving along that line sure sure moving on to the blue cards so my number five blue card is I don't really know how to say this because the the V comes first and then there's multiple vowels. Am I reading this right? So this is Savellan of Sea and Sky. This is the merfolk god. It is one and two blue for a 3-4 legendary creature merfolk god. Svelon of Sea and Sky has Indestructible, as long as you control at least two other Merfolk. Whenever Svelon attacks, draw a card, and other Merfolk you control have Ward 1. I mean, if Merfolk is good, this is a thing. It contributes to the game plan in a way that none of the other cards really do. You know, it kind of is doing a similar thing to Kira, but, like, this is a Merfolk. It'll hit really hard with any amount of Lords in play. It protects you from Wraths. It makes removal spells tougher. Uh, It doesn't die two lightning bolts it doesn't die to fatal push if you have two merfolk or if they don't have a revolt trigger like it's it's just like positioned pretty well against a lot of stuff yeah this card is highly specialized but really good when it's in play in those decks yeah and that, and that's it's so good that it makes the top five but pretty much only for merfolk yep and it brings a couple of buddies along that like don't make my list but i do want to mention that there is a one drop merfolk in richard and doc hand and there is another Merfolk in what is Tide Shaper. Tide Shaper, yeah. And so this is both a one mana Merfolk, just a one mana one one, and has kicker one when it enters the battlefield. If it was kicked, target land becomes an island for as long as Tide Shaper remains on the battlefield. And it gets plus one plus one as long as an opponent controls an island. So you're probably not playing spreading seas anymore, but if you Tide Shaper if you kicked one Tide Shaper, then your other Tide Shapers are two twos. 
So, or if they're just blue, then your tide shapers are two twos. So that's not bad. This also kills Urza's Saga when it comes into play. So that's neat. Yeah, I've actually seen Merfolk lists with still curse catchers, like four curse catchers, four tide shapers, zero dock hands, mm-hmm. just because they want to kill all the Urza sagas. And I don't know if people have tried out the dock hands or they just weren't good enough yet. Mm-hmm. But they've been maxing out on tide shapers. I think Tide Shaper is really good. Like, because it, it also, if they're playing Tron, this just, it Blood Moon's one of their Tron lands. Like, yep. While being a creature, like attacking them. Attacking them is so much better than drawing a card like Rexis does. Yeah. Getting a 2 2 instead. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, like, Murpho got multiple possible tools, and maybe that's a thing. My number four is Hard Evidence. So, this is. <laughs> the blue cards, honestly, are not. Well, okay, so there's one card that didn't make my list that probably should have and definitely will be on your list. So, you know, the blue cards are maybe a little bit deeper than I'm, I'm thinking here. But I do kind of like this card. One blue, sorcery, create an 0-3 blue crab creature token and investigate. This just, like, creates a lot of stuff for one mana. It puts two tokens into play on your side of the battlefield. It puts a card into your graveyard. It just does a lot. Like, this is a lot better than, like, Three Abin Inspector against Burn. You block their Goblin Guide forever with this 3 or they have to kill it, which is, like, mostly fine. Uh, it also is really good with Indomitable Creativity, because mm-hmm. it's a creature that draws a card without being either of those things. Yep. Uh, it's also an artifact, which Indomitable Creativity cares about, because it's in Kaladesh. And it also creates an artifact token sadly doesn't create two artifact tokens for use with artifact related things but that sometimes is kind of crazy right yeah if the crab was one mana create two artifacts yeah so it's just a really cheap way to create a bunch of stuff and i don't i'm not visualizing exactly like where you want it and maybe it just isn't good enough at all but it's so cheap and it, it it makes two things like, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm not super high on this card. I do like it a lot, mm-hmm. uh, especially the artwork. I think the crab is great. And the well, the clue token in the set is actually from this artwork. Uh-huh. It's like a different angle of the skeleton. But, but I think it mostly just sees play in kind of niche decks, like Indominal Creativity. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if any other decks kind of interested in it. Like, I couldn't find spots for it. Sure. It's also funny that they have to keep using the keyword investigate for making clues. It's dumb. They, they should just... We make food. We make treasures. Those don't have keywords associated with them. Mm-hmm. We don't need to keep investigating. We don't need to make every like, crab and dog in this set like a detective. Right. Well, I think that that's really great. And I just want... Like, if I'm going to play hard evidence, I'm definitely sharpieing like a Sherlock Holmes hat, Sherlock Holmes hat and like a pipe in the mouth of each of these little crabs. But will you do it on the skeleton as well? Well, it's the crab that's solving the crime of why is there a skeleton here, right? So it doesn't really make sense for the murder victim to be the detective. I guess that's a big twist if if that's the case. Yeah, it's one of them could be the detective on one of your playset. Oh my god, you were the detective all along. Or it's like Clue, each hard evidence has a different ending. <laughs> Cult classic Clue. The movie's fantastic if, if anybody who hasn't seen clue take an evening and watch clue i i haven't seen very many movies that i've seen clue I, I enjoyed it it's really good tim curry is phenomenal in it uh let's see what else is on my list my number three is subtlety 
This is the the blue elemental. I think like all of the elementals made my lists because you can cast them for free. Subtlety is two and two blue for a three, three flash flying creature. When it enters the battlefield, choose up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell. Its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library and evoke exile a blue card from your hand. This card has mostly looked kind of bad in a lot of the decks people have been putting it in so far. I think you just, you don't generally just put it in your blue controlling deck. I think it is somewhere in the range of sideboard card that's good against decks that are casting a creature as their thing, like Amulet. And it's better if you care about the body and are likely to hard cast it or maybe vial it in and then equip it with a sword. That's a place where this card is a lot better. So somewhere in those universes of things you want to do, I think this card is pretty good. I think it's generally pretty bad in like Teferi Hero of Dominaria decks. First place I saw this card was in a blue white control deck that Missif was playing. It was sideboarded out every single match. It never <laughs> got cast for free. It was just very bad. Like it, I, I did see it in a Merfolk deck that 5 owed, uh, where it looked extremely good. Because mm -hmm. it just did the stuff that Merfolk wanted to do, which is like <laughs> clear the battlefield if there's a pinpoint creature. If you just have four mana open, you can just cast it. Yep. And it was great. Yeah, I am totally down for it in a deck like that. It has to be a deck where the tempo like matters. It it doesn't actually solve the problem. So if you're playing a control deck, and I mean, if you do this against a Titan, maybe or like because it takes so many resources to cast the Titan, like that is good enough. But if it's just like cast a Death Shadow, and you're like uh, subtlety, it that's just the, like Death Shadow is happy to have you do that. Yeah, especially if you cast for free. That's oof. Right. And and you didn't solve the problem of that shadow is just getting cast the next turn if they want to do that. And that's not really what the long game control deck is in for. You're kind of making their draws better over the course of the game than they would be otherwise because they get to choose. And that's like not ideal. So you, that turn that you're buying needs to be important. My number two card is Merktide Regent. This is kind of bummed about this card actually why is that five and two blue for a three three dragon with delve and flying enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each instant and sorcery card exiled with it and whenever an instant or sorcery leaves your graveyard put a plus one plus one counter on murktide regent so this is just a really big tomb stalker i'm just kind of bummed that they like spent a mythic slot on blue tomb stalker it's just like a kind of boring card that i i you know, they could have given us the whale, and that's like a fun, neat card. This the is whale? just the whale, the the legacy one, the delve one. Oh, ethereal forager. Ethe yeah, ethereal forager. But they give us this, which is just a giant body. It's just a big blue tarmogoyf. I, I, I don't really. It's just not an exciting card to me, like conceptually and design wise. It's just huge, but it's so huge. That it's definitely good. It's it's literally blue tarmogoyf. Like <laughs> you yeah. just exile cards from your graveyard to cast this for two mana, and you just have to like eight eight flyer. Yeah, and if you exile cards to like a second Merktide Regent, then it's just like a lethal attack. This is the card I think that Phoenix wanted when it was like in its prime because mm. they were playing like some pretty suspect delve cards just to use its graveyard in some way. Right. And Merktide Regent would have been so good. It would have been really dope. That kind of actually makes me think this card has a home somewhere out there. Mm -hmm. Just need to find like the, the right type of shelf for it. But it's so big. Well, I think number one, 
this just means that you don't have to play a third color in Delver in Legacy. Yes. I mean, Delver got like eight different threats in this set in blue and red, <laughs> but you just don't need to play a threat color anymore. You don't need to play black to play Gurmag Angler. This is just a better card than Gurmag Angler. I mean, it costs two rather than one, but it is just a monster. It's so big. You don't have to play green for Tarmogoyf. Like you just, because you only played those colors really for the threats because blue and red were a little bit limited. I think now with the tools you get, it's, it's is it Delver all the way in Legacy? And I think in Modern, this is setting up the tools for a more tem tempo-y blue deck rather than a heavily controlling blue deck because we have Counterspell now. Like, your turn four can be Merktide Regent, Exile My Graveyard, Hold Up Counterspell. Which is going to be a huge blowout. You also have all of the... Uh... Like, if you're just blue-red, you can have Fury open. Mm -hmm. If you just tap out for Burnt-Eyed Regent, you can yeah. have Subtlety if that's good to your deck. Yeah, Force of Negation. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this kills them in, like, two attacks. You're a Lightning yeah. Bolt deck, too, so you easily finish them off. This card's just really boring and really, really good. So it bums me out. <laughs> I will not enjoy dying to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think it's... I, I mean, as, like, conceptually, I do not like that we're just putting Delve cards in the set because they have Delve. Like, that's, like, why they did it. Yeah. They just wanted a card with Delve, so they threw one in. And we don't have to do that. There's never been a Delve card that's, like, not great or just horrible. <laughs> right, I don't... Like, yeah, this is giving a Delve threat to blue because they had to ban the blue Delve cards because they were way too good. You know, this doesn't draw a bunch of cards, but, like... One of the reasons that Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time are so good is not just because, like, card drawing is really powerful, like, way more powerful than five fives, which on those cards, yes, it is. But also, in blue, Delve is incredibly good and easy to enable. And so... Well, it's, it's kind of like we were talking earlier, right? That blue and white don't have really good ways to use the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And Delve was the best way for blue to use sure. the graveyard because it has all these cheap cards that go to the graveyard like cantrips that's like the blue's main thing they've got a million cantrips that go to the graveyard mm -hmm. and they don't use their graveyard but these delve cards came along and all of a sudden you just got ancestrals for free right with this resource you weren't using <laughs> and merc region is kind of the same thing to me it's just blue can use its graveyard now without even really trying to yeah i mean it does some nice things conceptually for the format that i've heard people talk about like fatal push and lightning bolt and that type of remo removal spell really discourage like two mana threats specifically this is like a pseudo two mana threat that doesn't die to those things but i'm not i don't know it's just boring to me like it's gigantic and costs two mana and is so easy to see how to use there's not a puzzle to figure out it's just really really good yep and my number one card is Counterspell. I honestly think... Can this, you read that one for me? I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the best blue card in the set, honestly. I, I think it's going to see a ton of modern play. And in just like most blue decks, you're just going to kind of start with... Unless you are Death Shadow or something, but you're going to start with Counterspell. It's really good. I think it's really fair for the format. You know, it's it doesn't like offend me in ways that like Merktide Regent kind of does, but it's gonna see play in a lot of different speeds of blue deck, and it does its job better than any other card. And I mean, welcome back to Magic Counterspell. I'm happy to have you here. 
Yep, this is also my number one to spoil it. <laughs> Counterspell is just excellent. I don't really need to hash that out a bunch more. <laughs> no, like, right. You don't really need to talk about how good it is, but I do want to talk about, like, it's just nice. I There was no place to play Counterspell before. That's messed up. It's a marquee card. It's one of the main cards people think about if they played a little bit of Magic the Gathering when they were younger. It's like, oh, man, and this guy had this Counterspell deck, and I hated playing against it. Well, we should be able to do that. And we can now. Uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for a Dark Ritual to really complete the experience. <laughs> uh, my top... Dark yeah, Ritual well... has a format, though. You can play Dark Ritual and Legacy, <laughs> and it's very good. You literally could not... Like, Counterspell barely sees play in Legacy. There's just no place that anybody's sweet playsets of Counterspell could be used. And now there is. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I'm not really a counterspell person, but it is nice that people can play with their old counterspells. I do like that. And you'll end up playing with more counterspells than, like, counterspells good in Urza decks. Oh, no, I will play with counterspell. I just, I don't, like, identify as, like, wanting to play with counterspell. It's, like, a good tool that I will play with. Right. I'm not like, oh, I get to play with counterspell. Hell yeah. Which I know a lot of people are. (laughs) Right, right. And I am very happy for them. I am also not super, like, time to sleeve up my counter spells but i do appreciate having it available for me so i can tap a construct and a whatever to and a clue or a treasure or something to cast it the clue next to your crap token mm-hmm. oh man i can't wait <laughs> uh my top five is really similar to yours <laughs> uh mine i didn't i don't have the crap card on my top five that's fair uh, my number five is upheaval mm-hmm. which is a odyssey reprint or is it Onslaught? I don't remember. It's Odyssey. What? Odyssey, yeah. Because it was Factor Fiction and Psychotog. Yeah. Uh, for you, you return all permanents to their owner's hand. Sorcery. I-, I think this card's mostly unremarkable. It's really splashy. And the only reason I kind of mention it is because uh, there is one card in the format that makes a lot of blue mana, and that's Urza. <laughs> and I-, I can just picture uh, a deck that tries to just create permanence into play, resolve Urza, cast upheaval, put Urza back into play, game's over. You're done. You win. <laughs> you can't start the game with an Urza in play. And that's that's the only place I could really conceive of playing upheaval. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good in that specific spot, and I don't know of a shell of it, but I really want to try it. Yeah, I don't hate that idea. I, I watched Doomwake. There's a really bad Dice Tron deck i saw that deck list i hate it yeah i think it's not good no i, I don't think it's good i don't think it fights what's going on in this format particularly well it it's also just... the worst emery deck i've ever seen and yeah <laughs> there is a lot wrong with that deck but an urza emery deck with upheaval in it absolutely could exist there's no reason that that could not exist like obviously things could beat it and it could just not be good but like there's ways to make that work there's ways to make a lot of mana early there's ways to cover that upheaval with a counter spell and modern is a format where a main thing in the format has been figuring out a way to resolve primeval titan and then your opponent is dead and i think upheaval is really similar it's just a blue six mana spell that if you resolve it your opponent is dead you have to do a little bit more work because you have to like put something to play after upheaval unlike primeval titan which does all the work for you but right, that but is the like... work in the primeval titan deck is putting a lot of cards that are very specific to that plan into your deck. Yeah. And in the blue deck, 
the thing that you're paying is putting a bunch of artifacts into your deck, which can... Yeah, you're mostly just playing a normal Urza deck that you have two or however many upheavals you want to play. Yeah. You just have, like, that many I win the game right now yeah. cards. And, and that's just your go-over-the-top thing. Like, sometimes the Urza deck is just like, okay, I got an Urza down, I can spin it a couple of times, like, I, I didn't hit a counterspell, like, they are doing something that is bigger than me because I didn't stabilize quickly enough. And this goes over the top of anything. So, I, you know, I can see it. And I can just imagine the f- the, the shock on one of my opponent's faces <laughs> as I, like, spin into this oh, with Urza. God. With, like, four mana or three mana open or whatever. They just, all right, uh, I've got this upheaval. I can cast until end of turn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I would not mind that being a thing. Uh, the rest of my top four is strangely similar. I've got Savulin of Sky and Sea and Sky. I still don't know how to say that. And it number does. four. We'll never figure it out. My top three is the exact same. Uh, Subtlety at three. Merktide Region at two. Big C Counterspell at one. Makes sense. I did want to mention a card. It didn't make the top five. That's Thought Monitor. Mm-hmm. Which is a 6U, 2-2 with affinity for artifacts. When there's battlefield, you draw two cards. See, I assumed this would make your list, but... No, it didn't. I, I I think it's too expensive, and the artifacts in Modern are not free enough. Mm-hmm. Like, this card's extremely good in Legacy. Yes. And would be very good if it were allowed in Popper. But those formats have artifact lands. <laughs> right. And the artifact lands in Modern, which there are now, the Bridges and Power Conduit, I think it's called. Or power something, module, whatever. Mm-hmm. Those cards all come up like tapped. So they are severely limiting to how many artifacts you can actually put into play in the early turns. Yeah. Uh, which is really what Affinity for Artifact wants to do. I, I do like this card, and maybe it does have some place in some Urza deck somewhere. Right. But it's at a high enough mana cost where it's not trivial. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a way to buy yourself through the fact that you have a bunch of cheap artifacts in your deck. Also, I really want to cast this card for one mana for my graveyard off of Emery a bunch of times. That sounds like a party to me. Oh, yeah, that does sound great. I just kind of worried it's a little too expensive and it would come down a little too late where right. you're in a different stage of the game. Whereas Thoughtcast is, like, really good at its cost, but you often don't play Thoughtcast because it's it doesn't contribute that much. Right. And, I mean, if this costs two, it's fine. If it costs any more than two, you kind of can't afford to spend that much of your turn on it so yeah and it is nice that if you have a in play like it rebuys you a mana but i mean you've got a in play so it doesn't even matter what you're casting right 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 i don't know i think it is good enough in a you know the way that we've built urza decks a lot in the past and i think the way that we can do it going forward is it's generally a mid-rangey thing and then maybe it just has a, a knockout punch with an upheaval but, like, you can do most of that work in, like, almost mono blue right now because Counterspell is so good. And then you have Emery Urza cheap artifacts maybe splashing, like, one color, like, black so I can pay for Nile spell bombs and Thought Seize You post-board and Fatal Push You or whatever. But, like, I-, I could see just a mid-range deck that is using this as a refill kind of thing. And I, I-, I don't hate it. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I like... I think this card is just off the top five because it's not quite as good as the other cards to me. Right. But I still think it's like a player Definitely. to be aware of. I think so too. I have one overrated card in blue. I've seen a lot of people talking about 
the card Suspend. One blue mana for an instant, exile target creature, and put two time counters on it. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. Ross Miriam was really high on this card. He was talking about it on his podcast with Tannen. And I mean, Ross is a really smart guy. He plays a lot of modern. I absolutely respect his opinion. I think that the view of this card as, you know, hey, it puts a creature away for two turns and like modern games are really fast and it buys you tempo and like puts a problem away you know if you get a goblin guide with this maybe that goblin guide doesn't matter later in the game i think number one we have enough good cheap removal in all of the non-blue color i mean non-blue non-green colors i I don't think that you can afford to be not one of those colors in a deck that acknowledges it wants a one mana removal spell so i don't think that this like fills that role in a meaningful way and number two like the modern games only are that short when either things go really, really well for one player or nobody is casting removal spells like Suspend. Uh, If you're casting Suspend on a creature, it's going to extend the game out and then the creature's going to come back. And if it's not a goblin guide, like every other creature in Modern is a problem every turn of the game. If a Tireless Tracker comes back, it's a problem. If an Urza comes back, it's a problem. You know, this gets like Construct tokens, but... I'm trying to negate their construct token strategy, not like one for one their construct tokens, because that's a losing battle if I've ever seen one. So I'm not high on this card. Modern games go go way longer than people think they do. Yeah, I'm also not high on it, mostly because I think people tend to overlook the fact that the creature just, when it comes back from suspend, it gets haste. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a huge deal, because it the timeline doesn't really line up that well. Because if you use it on your own turn, because... Uh, to your opponent's turn and takes down then on their next turn that it just comes into play on his haste yes. so you basically got rid of it for one turn <laughs> right and if it's got a come into play ability they get it again like all of the elementals or whatever so there's like a narrower subset of creatures you can use it on it doesn't get rid of anything and i mean you can use it to like protect urza which is kind of neat but i would rather have a a better card that's just more generally useful like counterspell than trying to... I'd rather Aether Spellbomb than suspend something if I'm yeah. using Urza. And you don't even need any mana open for that. <laughs> right, right. The the cutest interaction, tap Aether Spellbomb to pay for its activation cost. So I, I agree. I, I don't think suspend is very good. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think it's a weird, like... It's not exactly the same as like people doing Magical Christmas Land things in their head. But people are absolutely looking at the upside of this card and not the games where it's like, wow, like we thought seized each other and traded resources and now I'm suspending their Tarmogoyf for two turns and then dying to it the turn after it comes back. Like, <sighs> like, like there is a chance this can be played in like certain spots, but I think it's mostly in decks that end the game while mm-hmm. that card is the card is suspended. Uh, I've seen it in a Jeskai Ascendancy deck, which seems like pretty neat. Sure. But... That's kind of like the space where I see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's getting rid of a meddling mage or a Thalia so that you can kill them, I'm all, and you you wanted a blue card for that effect, I'm all for this card. As a generally good card, nah. Yeah. All right, on to black. Okay, so my number five is Profane Tutor, which is a mana costless card with suspend two for one or to be. Uh, and it's demonic tutor. When it result, when, it, when you cast it, search your library for a card, put it into your hand, shuffle. Talked about this earlier, but it's just really good to tutor when all your mana is untapped. Yes. Uh, by the time you 
unsuspend this card. It's turn four. If you did it on turn two, which is like the, the best case scenario, right? Uh, and then you're, all your mana's untapped on turn four. You've got the best card that you want now. Yeah, whatever you, you want to do that to turn. Your... You don't have to plan ahead. I mean, except by suspending it. But you don't have to plan your tutoring ahead. You get the thing that's good right then. Yeah, you don't have to play it in an S4 tilt deck, though it is still good in that deck because, mm-hmm. you know, if resolving in Ancestral Visions off of S4 tilt is good, resolving Demonic Tutor is also good right. off that card. And this gives you more copies of Ancestral Vision because you can suspend it on turn two and get it. Yeah, if, if that's what you want to do. I, I just think this card is a really, really good setup card. Uh, the only thing holding it back is the, like, what if you draw it on turn four kind of deal, mm-hmm. which is a little scary. But I think with the look of the Ad Nauseum decks with Thassa's Oracle and just the straight up Thassa's Oracle Inverter decks, uh, like maybe you can just be interested in playing a longer game with more attritioning spells and then drawing this later in the game is just not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, I like this card too for exactly the same reasons. My number four, that's a red card. I lost my spot. Okay, is Persist. <laughs> Persist is one to be for a sorcery, return target, non-legendary creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. With a minus one, minus one counter on it. The best reanimation spell that has existed in modern. Absolutely. Or kind of just any format except for Legacy. It, this card's really good in terms of rate. Yeah. Which is one of the things that's keeping it down a little bit. Because you can't build a cohesive modern reanimator deck. Because nothing is good enough except for Persist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You got like Persist and then you're looking at unburial rights <laughs> it's just like that's yeah. the next best option or the the creature unburial rights the the priest from this set yeah priest of fail rights i think it's called yeah which is obviously an unburial rights callback but it's the same idea yeah this this card is nice it does have the restriction of being unable to grab legendary cards which are generally the most powerful reanimator targets in legacy especially gristle brand because you know that card's ridiculously powerful and everyone who's ever played against it wants it banned immediately. <laughs> it's just a miserable experience. They should never have printed that card. But can't put it back in the box now. But yeah, like Iona, Elishnor, and Gristlebrand are like the triumvirate of reanimation targets, really. And they're all legendary. Yeah. So if you want to play this one, you've got to play something not legendary. And there are some really good targets in Modern. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the best ones are even in this set. Uh, one of the classic ones that I've seen people play with is Terastodon. It's a nine mana card from Worldwake. I've seen Sphinx of the Steelwind. There is a white, huge angel in this card that's got like an Iona impression that's not legendary. Mm-hmm. There is Archon of Cruelty, which I think is the big one. It's a black creature that's seven mana and does like a, oh, a little cruel tomato every time. It's eight mana. I've cast this it's card eight, in the me, limited format. Wow. Did you win that game? <laughs> Well, okay, so my deck had a reanimation sub-theme to it. This was one of my reanimation targets, but sometimes the game went long and it was fine. You cast it and nothing could ever beat it. Yeah, it's just kind of cruel to beat your opponent every turn. Not literally, but it's a, a little cruel to beat every yeah. single turn. Yeah. And that's really good if you can just put that into play turn three, turn four. I, I just, I like Persist. I mm-hmm. think it's really good rate and... It's not flashy or anything. It's We've seen a bunch of reanimate effects before. This one's just a cheap one, and it's good. Yep. It's like the same reason counterspells at the top of the blue list, right? It just does what it does at a really good rate. I think this will be good enough. I, I think it is really difficult to build a reanimator deck. I, I think that kind of just can't exist because, number one, you don't have the redundancy for persist, and number two, 
opening yourself up to graveyard hate in that way is not where you want to be when you don't have a deck that you're setting up to like crush them on turn three a lot of the time. You don't want a deck that doesn't do that to also be vulnerable to, oh, they put a lantern into play. Like my cards don't really work. I'm much more interested in it as like, I am playing a blue black deck and my splinter twin finish is putting a big creature in the graveyard and persisting it into play. Yeah. And just plan B is, oh, I guess I'll, I'll cast this creature. Right. Right. Because it's turn 12 or whatever. And I've countered four of your spells or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've got some like Jace the Mind Sculptors in my deck so I can put things back when I don't want them. And even Jace, uh, Friends Prodigy, really good in that kind of deck. That's true. Cannot persist back at Jace Friends Prodigy, though, sadly. It is the opposite of Goryo's Vengeancing back at Jace Friends Prodigy. Well, then it'd be a negative 1 1 if you could even do that. And that's just not a stat line I'm interested in. Uh, but. Oh no, you you remove it from the game and bring it back as the Planeswalker. I want a Planeswalker with a minus one, minus one counter on it, but this is not, for many reasons, not a way to do that. Yeah, you gotta work a little harder for that. It's easy to get a plus one, plus one counter on a Planeswalker. Yeah, really easy. You just need an Elspeth Conqueror's death. (laughs) Going along with Persist, I have Minor Worth 3's Unmarked Grave, Mm -hmm. which I think is the stronger card, even though it doesn't look... I was definitely underwhelmed by this card the first time I read it, mostly because I was comparing it to Entomb, one of the best tutors ever in the game. <laughs> one of the best cards ever in the game. If somebody casts an Entomb, you're you're dead, probably. There's something's up. And this is one to be sorcery. Search your library for a non-legendary card and put it into your graveyard. Uh, there's just... First of all, it's good with Persist, mm-hmm. because... It tutors the cards you want in your deck straight into your graveyard for Persist. So it works there. That's a good enabler for Persist. Uh, it also just does random other stuff. Yeah. You can grab Sword of the Meek with it. You can do... Mm, I do like that. Uh, you can do Trash for Treasure stuff with it if you want to... Like, uh, there's weird artifacts you can grab, like Sundering Titan or Possess Portal, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. I mean, that's actually kind of cute. If it's artifact creatures that you're interested in, then you have redundancy between Trash for Treasure and Persist. Like, both of those can bring back Sundering Titan. Both of those can bring back Sphinx to the Steelwind. And there's a little more, like, if you're Trash for Treasuring specifically, like, trying to do artifact stuff in the graveyard, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more you can do with artifact things than there is with non-legendary big creatures. Sure. Because, I mean, then you're dipping into Urza, right? You can just cast things for easier. Right. (laughs) Uh, and I'm sure there's other things I'm not thinking of. Like, I kind of wanted to... I started building a deck with this and then put Mystic's Mastery into it to try and make a Mystic's Mastery unmarked grave deck. But that card's just not in modern. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's in historic. <laughs> we cast it a lot in historic. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, it does a lot of neat little things, too. If you're playing a reanimator deck and you draw two unmarked graves... You can build your deck so that your second unmarked grave gets an unburial rites or gets a priest of the fell rites. So then that's two reanimations, or that is a reanimation spell and an entomb. You can also put like escape cards in your deck to get with it. I mean, there's only really one playable escape card, but you can get cling to dust as, you know, I don't think that I'm going to successfully do any reanimating this game, but it's going to be a long game. This is going to draw me some cards and be graveyard hate against them or whatever. Like that's. That's a thing that you can do as a backup plan in your blue-black deck. Uh, so yeah, card is pretty good. Entombing is just very powerful, even nerfed several ways. So Yep, my number two is Grief. Not number one. Not Shocking. number one. It's a 2BB, 3-2 Menace. 
when grief enters battlefield target opponent reveals their hand you choose an online card from it that player discards that card evoke exile black card from your hand that the kind of unmask free spell mm-hmm. uh, this card is obviously extremely good yes it, it's just it, it is mostly un- unmask in the experiences i've seen it in play mm-hmm. unmask is a good card it's just a little narrow and, and not really every deck be. wants that jun doesn't want to play unmask yeah and it's not interested in a four mana unmask for sure that's a creature attached mm-hmm. it just doesn't care and a lot of decks are like that i i do think grief is really powerful and it does have a pretty scary effect mm-hmm. but if i see 10 black decks in like a modern 5-0 deck dump i think only one of them has grief at this point yeah it, it's just not ubiquitous it's a very narrow card it's way better in decks that are doing a broken thing the the decks that have wanted unmask are decks you know you have to be willing to spew cards to take your opponent's interaction because whatever you're doing is more powerful than is powerful enough that you're willing to sacrifice like everything in order to make it happen and i have seen the grief ephemerate thing that is certainly frustrating when it happens but you know as discussed previously what does the deck look like yeah, the black cards are just not very good outside mm-hmm. of grief in that kind of like Orzhov ephemerate style deck. Yeah, like maybe maybe that'll change. Uh, but every deck list I've seen currently kind of just tries to high roll grief ephemerate, and if it doesn't get there, you just try not to draw black cards. Yeah, that's not a great deck building constraint to have on you. I, I don't love that. I think grief is going to be good when you're doing something busted with it. If it's triggering Venge Vines fantastic if it's triggering bridge from belows and legacy fantastic uh if it were a couple of years ago and the living index were not built the way that they are definitely going to be built now and you have a lot of black cards in it this would be a spectacular card in living end but the you don't want to build your living end deck with a lot of black cards it's just not it's a worse deck so grief really 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 good card mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of speaks to how good i think number my number one is okay that i'm willing to put grief below it uh, it's dothy Voidwalker. okay which is a bb32 dothy rogue with shadow uh, it says if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere instead exile that card with a void counter on it and it has an activated ability of tap sack choose an exile card an opponent owns with a void counter on it and you can cast that card without paying its mana cost uh, i've seen this card a lot actually mm-hmm. uh, in just random leagues and stuff it is really strong <laughs> i've seen it just as a jund card which wasn't super impressive as like part of the jund plan because it's more of a defensive deck like boomer mid-range jund uh but it's still just connected for some damage that was important and then just cast a random card from their whole library and even though that card was like not good in the jun shell it still was good there i've seen it been equipped with equipment and just gone to town because it's unblockable mm-hmm. essentially <laughs> i've seen it thought sees card i actually saw that in a game <laughs> so that happened that was nice and it also is just a graveyard hate card on top of all that which is so important right now graveyards are being used and abused and you slamming this into play and turning off your opponent's graveyard strategy, which traditionally has really, really good game one matchups against any deck that would play Dothy Voidwalker in it. Jund just can't possibly beat Dredge game one. It doesn't happen. If you're like on the play and you play a Dothy Voidwalker against Dredge, you just won the game. Yeah, it's incredibly good, uh, especially because it's just like a defensible main deck card. Yeah. Uh, especially in any deck with Stoneforge music, that's where I've been most impressed with it. Sure. Because uh, I initially saw now. it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I initially saw it as like one of the black cards for grief in like an ephemerate stoneforged kind of deal deck. That was like where I initially saw it, but the card actually just impressed me on its own, like holding it equipment, being yep. an unblockable creature. It was really good at that. Yeah. Definitely. And occasionally your opponent mills or, or plays something really good and you just play it because your card lets you do that too. For free. You don't pay the mana cost. Yeah. Yeah. This card has impressed me so much. I think it's a lot more widely applicable than grief. Mm-hmm. And I would not have expected to like rank anything above grief like once we saw the first wave of spoilers but sure. i mean here we are <laughs> yeah i so i really love it in a lot of different stuff i i really love the thing that it does it, you're generally going to be playing it in an uh, aggressively leaning mid-range deck is like the thing that it does and those decks are really bad against focus graveyard decks and this is just a hate card against those decks and that's gross that's really good. It also enables you to build like a black red mid-range. We we joke about the black red mid-range deck. But now the Luris deck, black red, your threats, you know, you have multiple one mana red threats from this set. You have Dothy Voidwalker, you have Kroxa, you have Luris. Like that's a good enough threat suite and Vo- Dothy Voidwalker patches up a huge weakness of yours, which is the graveyard decks. And also, it gives you that tool where you're just, like, maybe ganking their Karn with it and beating them over the head with the card that you can't beat otherwise. Like, this card is good. I I think it does a lot of stuff for the decks that want it that just, like, patches up huge holes that they had. It's it's going to enable a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm really high on Dr. Woodwalker. My list is... My number five is Patriarch's Bidding. A little bit of this is just personal, but like my brother and I loved to play with this card when we were kids playing Magic. It's one of those modern cards. One of It's in the category of cards that's like in modern that they're kind of expensive and if you resolve them, you win the game. You know, Scapeshift, Bring to Light, Primeval Titan, I guess Upheaval now maybe. Requires a little bit more setup, but the setup ideally is you playing a bunch of creatures that are fine and then if you get to, you know, if you get to the point where it's time to cast Patriarch's Bidding, your opponent just dies to them. I don't know whether that is a bunch of zombies with various effects, a bunch of goblins with various effects, and these decks may never actually materialize, especially given the existence of Plague Engineer. But the card has a lot of power packed into it, so I I, I can't t- give you a deck list, but you resolve this and they die most of the time. Uh, yeah, I think this card is also good with uh, Goblin Farmit. Mm-hmm. which is a red card that was reprinted in the set, especially with zombies and goblins. So that's like, it's a card I was going to mention, Patriarch's Bidding. I just don't exactly know where it fits in yet. Yeah. I I don't either, but I, I like it. I mean, it is a powerful effect for sure. Yes. My number four is Sudden Edict. And this is just one in a black for an edict with split second. And this isn't going to see a ton of play, but it's going to be, it's a removal spell that does things that other removal spells can't do. Uh, it'll take things out when y- you wouldn't have been able to take things out otherwise. I've already seen the screenshots of it, like getting rid of a gristle brand, and that you know, that's mostly because opponent wasn't aware of the existence of sudden edict, so they like passed the turn without drawing cards. But uh, I think like split second is an incredibly powerful ability. And in... can I tell you one screenshot I've seen? Hmm. 
is it killing Lord of Atlantis when there's a mutavault in play, but not active. Oh, wow, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, you can kill a Lord of Atlantis with a lightning bolt, so that's not necessarily like a standout application of it. But, but it was neat. It, I mean, it's in your edict slot, and it does jobs that other edicts wouldn't be able to do. And there are decks that need edicts, especially in Legacy. Unfortunately, like the way that most of the decks, like Merit Lage decks, beat edicts is just by having a bunch of other little creatures in play. And so the Split Second doesn't do anything there. But Split Second is just a really good ability to have on a removal spell. So the black cards, basically, there's just like a lot of weird utility cards that will see some use somewhere. And so I, I put one of them onto my list here. Okay. But that's like a lot of the black cards in this set. Uh, for my number three, I cheated. This is my combo slot of Persist, Persist slash Unmarked Grave slash Archon of Cruelty. Okay. Wow. Three cards. Wow. But it's like a package. I think... Very few Persist on Grave decks are not going to have a copy or two copies of Archon of Cruelty in them. So it's, it's like, it's a deal. It's a well, whole... I had to put Unmarked Grave a cut above because it... I think the tutoring to a graveyard is can stand apart from Persist. But I, 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 don't think, I don't think Persist can stand apart from Unmarked Grave. I feel, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my number two is Dothy Voidwalker. The only reason it's not the number one is because it does have like this very specific weakness which is to the one mana removal spells in the format everything kills it and so if you're playing jund versus jund there's a really good chance that this is the card that they actively want you to have in your hand or you know you're playing a mid-range deck versus death shadow they just want you to cast this so they can get your two mana for their one mana as they lightning bolt this and that weakness is real uh, it's just one of the things that happen when you play a two-mana creature like this. But its application against the decks that are not doing that is incredibly good. So there's just matchups where you board them out, though. Yeah, and it can't block either, which is right. huge. Which is why I think it's like not very good in John at all. Right. Like, you can't you can't cast this card against humans. Like, you just will end up dying two turns later, probably. Yeah, like, what are you going to do? Hope to kill one of their creatures, then cast one of their creatures for free? You just change out your Dothy Voidwalker for a creature that can block? Right, and, like, <laughs> the human creatures are really good in humans, and they're really bad against humans as just a standalone creature. I'll just wait until I Dothy Voidwalker, my opponent's general Rohiric, and then I cast a Cole against Grand, and Listen, then we go off. If you pull that off, I don't think that weakness is enough to... You know, it's just that there's specific matchups where the card is pretty bad. And yeah, yeah. So my number one is grief, but I totally hear you on the it. You know, it is not performing at the levels of the hype. Yeah, the hype. And that's why it is also my overrated card in black, despite being my number one card. I, but I, I just while it's not necessarily doing the things right now and probably won't do a lot of the things that people were scared of, like there may just never actually be a tier one ephemerate grief deck. That might never come to pass. I, I could see that world. But the potential is there for it to just be the key part of the best deck in the format in multiple formats. Yeah, I, I think that is a very possible how do i want to say very possible it's just extremely possible just a very distinct possibility yeah yeah because it's grief is just a card that you see it in a deck list and you know your opponent's up to no good right and and if anybody ever figures out the grief vengevine deck like 
that cart, that's obviously going to be a problem. But, you know, again, it is not doing the thing that it made it like $70 at first or whatever. So, Shout out to Vengevine, by the way. Just breaking cards every two years or so. <laughs> Just put it in the work. Listen, it's a 4-3 haste that comes back from the graveyard. Of course. Of course it's going to do stuff. We can't be that, though. No. Uh, so to the red cards. So my number five is Goblin Bombardment. This is one in a red for an enchantment. Sacrifice a creature. Deals one damage to any target. I'm torn on this card. Okay. I, I think it, it obviously has done a ton of stuff in the past. It's one of the most... You know, we're willing to play cards that just say sacrifice a creature with, like, no effect on it just because decks that want to sacrifice creatures are really, like, really want to sacrifice the creatures and, and the payoff is in getting those creatures dead. So getting a full damage on a two-mana permanent out of sacrificing your creature, like, that's the best way to do it, generally. But Modern generally has not been friendly to grinding games by sacrificing creatures. I... I'm not picturing a way to effectively use this card in a way that's good against modern decks. It's also not a creature itself. And so collected company decks have only so many slots for non-creature spells. Uh, you can't like unearth it or anything. Like you just kind of, it just weirdly is a thing that you don't have access to via the fact that it is an enchantment on its type line. You can't like, it's not part of a a Patriarch's bidding deck that I really want to be playing. Like, I don't want my five-mana sorcery to be reliant on me having a two-mana enchantment in play and the right cards in my graveyard. Like, it's enough work to try to get the right cards into my graveyard to make this sorcery work. So, it's hard for me to visualize where, in a modern context, Goblin Bombardment is going to be good. But I know that there is a lot of power locked away in this card. Sacrificing creatures for a good effect. Like, there's a lot of stuff in Magic that that is good with. I just am not sure that that plan is up to task in Modern. Especially given how hateful Modern has to be towards Graveyard decks. Because the Graveyard decks are really, really good. And a Sacrifice deck maybe just isn't a good enough way to use the Graveyard in Modern. And open yourself up to that kind of vulnerability. Because you have to use the graveyard. Yeah. You almost have to use the graveyard for goblin bombarding. That's how you get enough fodder to, right. to do it. You're doing grave crawlers or, you know, undying or persisting or whatever. Like, you just have to. I, I feel that uh, this card is my number four, actually. And uh, I, I like this card a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really strong. I don't think the... Like the Patriarch's bidding thing you made up is completely fair. Because I agree, like it's horrible to have a plan rely on both a two-man enchantment and a five-man sorcery and fill your graveyard. Uh, the way I picture that interaction working is mostly just like a creature deck that uses Gommel Barbarment primarily and then Patriarch's bidding to like refuel and finish. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an upheaval style deal. Sure. And that's how I mostly picture Gommel Bombardment. Like, because unless someone figures out a busted combo, which there could be because this card is free to activate. Mm-hmm. I think it's mostly just a value grinding card, and it's a really good one at that, but it does have a lot of setup. You have to play really specific creatures, mm -hmm. and it may not be good enough, but it is certainly an effect worth exploring. Yeah. it's kind of how I feel about it. Yep. I I agree. 
and I just, you know, I can't make any promises with these with this card is basically like why it's at five and not higher than that. Uh, my number four is Fury. This is the red elemental. Let me scroll to that real quick. Three red red for a three three double strike. Enters the battlefield, deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers. Evoke, exile a red card from your hand. I think a lot of the time, Solitude is just a better version of this effect. But Solitude isn't red. This is like a, a pitch removal spell is a good enough effect that decks that can't do Solitude could just want this version of it. And of course, there are matchups where you're just going to like three or four for you're just going to wipe their board with this. And that's really good when you do that. Pyrokinesis is a really good sideboard card. This is only sorcery speed, but it will have application. It's just not like obviously a, a crusher in the format. I want to compare this to Solitude like a couple different ways. Mm hmm. Uh, the first is it's really ins uh, so I'm glad this card it doesn't have flash yes because this card is unbelievably strong with flash but it kind of makes me question why solitude has flash also like if this one's not allowed to have flash which is directly a reference to pyrokinesis why does solitude get it right just, like pyrokinesis is not sorcery no and the flash <laughs> on pyrokinesis has been really really important to that card being good yeah so that that's kind of a weird disconnect. Like, why is that a thing? Because I don't think it's like super healthy for your free spell to also have flash if you're not willing to give it to the other ones in the cycle. Mm -hmm. But whatever, we'll put it to the side. Uh, one of the things I think Fury excels at in comparison to Solitude is that it's red and wants you to exile red cards. And usually in red decks, you're playing a lot of red cards, which is not always the case in like the white decks. Because in blue eye control, you would like solitude, but you really want to play a ton of blue cards, not necessarily so many white cards. Mm -hmm. So you can sometimes struggle with your like white card count. And that's, I think, rarely going to come up with Fury. There are red decks that are full of red cards, basically. Yeah. yeah. Red cards are very good together. Yes. Yeah, I don't, e I don't even see a particular deck where I'm just like, yeah, super excited for Fury. But it's really metagame dependent. There's a deck that Fury is good against. You're a deck with a bunch of red cards. You'll sideboard some Furies. It'll be good there. Yeah, humans pops up. Get out of here. Just get out of my turn. If Elves pops up. <laughs> well, that's... I did see Elves 5-0 at uh, a modern tournament mm -hmm. this past weekend. I mean, it but got... It had a cool, like, Sylvan Anthem plus Realm Walker kind of deal going on, which I, I thought was really hot. That is that is sweet. Sylvan Anthem did not make my top five. Oh, it didn't make mine either. I hadn't considered the Realm Walker possibilities, though. There is one elves card that did make my top five, though. That so there there may be something there. Okay. Well, keep keep going with your red cards. I will. My number three is Imperial Recruiter. This is a reprint two and a red for a one one human advisor. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a creature card with power two or less. Reveal it. Put it into your hand. Then shuffle. There's just too many ways to make this card good. Like if you draw it. It represents a slow way, but all on its own, you can cast it, get Felidar Guardian, blink that, get Kiki Jiki, you have a combo win. Like exactly the type of card you want with Ether Vial because it lets you keep violing. Just like we've seen the power of these comes into play decks. Ephemerate is a really good card. Yorion is a really good card. Those weird slow games from the past where you're just like, Recruiter for a recruiter, I guess. 
like you're cutting me off from like doing my stuff recruiter for another recruiter like that's actually really good now because once you get all your recruiters into play you just yori on them all and then your hand is your deck like everything that you could possibly want uh you don't have to play militia bugler and humans anymore this is just a better version of that the card's really good yep it it's also i mean you mentioned the felidar guardian kiki jiki thing but it is also like a tutor not just like a value card and that's really important, even if you're not going for like specific, mm-hmm. like hee hee jiki stuff. It just gets creatures. Like any, it can get conspicuous snoop. Like for example, mm-hmm. if you're doing that kind of thing, it just is really good. Yeah, yeah. Or you can, if you do want to do value stuff, you can just get your soul herder and now <laughs> yeah, you're soul herdering imperial recruiter every turn, which is actually kind of value. Yeah. Just guy blink. Yeah, I don't hate it. There's a lot to like in that color combination. Uh, Fury, which we just talked about, I probably should have mentioned that it's also three three double striker, which is just huge. Yes. Like that's a that's a really big body. Yeah. So if, at least you can't find it with Imperial Recruiter. No, you can't find it with Imperial Recruiter. But now that we're talking Jeskai Blink and like Fury is just a good card to blink. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of into that. <laughs> yeah. If you right you, against your opponent's board, like turn three or so, and you just put a Fury into play and ephemerate it deal eight divided as you like among their creatures and then you've got a three three double strike yeah they're not be- they're not gonna last long yeah imperial recruiter just extremely good my number two is dragon's rage channeler this is a this is one red for a one one human shaman whenever you cast a non-creature spell surveil one and delirium as long as you have delirium it gets plus two plus two has flying and attacks each combat if able one of the very few humans where the creature type is just totally irrelevant. However, this is just a this is so close to Delver of Secrets. I, I think it's better in a lot of decks. Even I've seen, uh, especially Aspiring Spike playing this. It's a really good one drop. That surveil on every non-creature spell you cast, it triggers on your bobbles, it triggers on your cantrips, it triggers on your counter spells. You get Delirium so fast, and then. We've seen from Legacy how fast a clock a one mana three three flyer is. It's still really fast. I the only gripe I really have with this card is that it doesn't become a dragon when you have delirium, and I really think it should. That is kind of bullshit. I agree. I I, I will say it's like it surveils to put delirium into play or to activate delirium faster. Mm-hmm. But even after you've got delirium, it still has that ability, yeah. and it just improves your draws every basically every turn. I mean, watching Spike play with this card, it just fixes draws so perfectly. Like, he was just casting... It turns all of your cantrips into legacy power level. Or it turns, like, all of your spells into legacy level cantrips, basically. You just (laughs) are fixing perfectly. It does fall into that category of, like, threats that tangentially use the graveyard. So you don't really want this in a deck, and, like, all of your threats are Dragon Rage Channeler and Tarmogoyf and a Delve thing or whatever, because at some point your opponent's just like, I'm going to board in these rest in pieces and you're never going to be able to kill me with your creatures. Yeah, that that is a a knock against it, for sure. But if it's part of your threat package and most of your threat package doesn't use the graveyard, then they can't ever exploit that. And even if they do rest in piece it, you still get are getting scries every time you cast spells, and like that's not that bad. I, I also like this card with Merktide Regent. Mm-hmm. Like, because it, it wants you to play cantrips and cards that, like, activate it, plus fuels your graveyard so well. Yeah. Makes it, like, a natural pair to Merktide region for me. Yep. So that's something I haven't actually seen yet 
in as far as people I've been watching. Mm-hmm. But I am interested in seeing if people will do that. It's also really good potentially, uh, like with Luris. Fills up like you want to be playing Bobble anyways, so that's a good combo. Fills up your graveyard with things to get back with Luris. You can cast this off of your Luris, and it's a very real threat that you just they dealt with it once, but it's back. Card has just been really impressive when I've seen it. And my number one is actually in a similar vein. Uh, my number one red card is Raghavan Nimble Pilferer. One red for a 2-1 legendary creature, Monkey Pirate. Whenever Raghavan Nimble Pilferer deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token, exile the top card of that player's library. Until end of turn, you may cast that card. And it has dash, one and a red. The text on this one drop never ends. Most expensive card in the set, or at least competing for it. Possibly a little bit overrated. But it is doing a really good thing for a one-mana kind of mid-rangey threat. And between this, Merktide Regent, Dragon's Rage Channeler, the Delver Jackson Legacy get to easily be two colors. Uh, this is probably a better Legacy card than Modern Card, but it's still a pretty good Modern Card. Yeah, this card, because first of all, this card is just completely messed up in Delver. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very similar to kind of a, a Death Rage Shaman vibe. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, oh, here's my free mana advantage on my one drop yep. that's also dealing damage to you. Yep. <laughs> Which is like, Oh, that's wow. exactly what Deathrite Shaman was. <laughs> but, but that aside, it, it's, I, I know we talked about this card like last week, I think. It's really good. Uh, I, I haven't seen a ton of lists that actually utilize it that well in modern so far. Mm-hmm. But I think that's mostly a, people have just been playing other stuff, really. Uh, I've seen a lot of like cookbook stuff currently. I think it's the new hotness this week mm-hmm. where everyone's just putting feasting trolking into play. And if you're if everyone's doing that, then your your derpy little two one that can't really connect is not going to do doing a lot until you figure out exactly the disruption suite you're supposed to be playing for the format. And then that's when this thing really shines. Get down your one mana threat, cover it with stuff with with protection and disruption for them get your treasures and card advantage and i mean the spells you cast off of it are not very good making a treasure every time you hit with your one drop though is really strong yeah the treasure is is a big deal that it's the the draw of the card Mm -hmm. so that card's really good uh my top five is very similar i don't have dragon's rings channeler just i wanted to mention that card if you didn't Mm -hmm. my number five is actually blazing root walla Mm -hmm. uh, which is just a let me find it on the spoiler page uh red mana one one for a lizard it has a fire breathing ability red gets plus two plus oh until in a turn but you can only activate it once each turn and it has madness zero uh this is just a vengeline buddy like uh basking root wall this is after the root wall has sufficiently basked it is blazing <laughs> i i haven't a lot of people started playing this in their cookbook decks and it kind of got cut as long as Along with Vengevine, when it was discovered that Vengevine is just not very good in those decks, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that I that I think that decision is right, but I also think Blazing Rootwall is going to be right there with Vengevine as soon as people figure that card out again, and it's always going to be there. Yeah, I suspect without a better like mass discard outlet in modern, we may never quite get Vengevine going again basically if we have faithless looting then like i'm really really in without it though i'm not confident 
because like all the like sideways ways to do vengevine stuff are like very v extremely miserable like you know the the mill yourself deck was the least... oh the bridge vine sure yeah yeah so i think that this card is very clearly a way to make vengevine work in older formats especially like i imagine that the bizarre decks want eight root wallas in them they're just free when you're discarding with bizarre that's very very broken side note i think it's hilarious how the best deck for bizarre decks and vintage is just like a blue and black squee <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh i can use this to force of will with cool great but yeah i mean madness zero like this is a free spell free spells are great and and i wanted basking root wallet in this set this is the same thing so i'm excited to have it uh, the rest of my top five I've already gone over. I've got one Bob Mac four, Fury at three, Imperial Recruiter at number two. I, I like that card a lot. Mm -hmm. And Rogafon at, at number one. Yep. I wanted to mention a couple of other red cards. I don't know what your like honorable mentions are here. Uh, so mine was just Dragon Sweet Chandler, so the okay. floor is yours. Cool. Well, uh, I mean, there's several. There's a bunch of like pretty relevant red cards that may do something but may not be the center of like a strategy. Uh, so Obsidian Charmaw is a, I really love this as a hate card for, you know, Tron in particular, but this is three red, red for a four, four flying cost one less to cast for each land your opponent's control that could produce colorless. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy target non-basic land and opponent controls stone raining Tron opponent is good stone raining a Tron opponent and then putting a, a threat into play is the way to do it. So this will see some play for that sort of thing. Glimpse of Tomorrow is the suspend warp world. There may be a way to abuse that. I, I don't know. So I specifically didn't put this on my list mm -hmm. because I love this card. And I know I don't know how much of that is biased because I like Ravnica is really when I started playing tournaments like Ravnica City of Guilds. Mm -hmm. And Warp World was one of my favorite cards <laughs> of all time in that set. And I'm going to play with this card in Modern. I just am. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's going to be good. And I didn't want to, like, <laughs> the people of the podcast. I didn't want to let them down. That's fair. But, like, there's some really basic stuff that makes you look at it and go, hmm. You know, like, if you play it with Tireless Tracker or Tireless Provisioner and they come into play with a bunch of lands, you get a bunch of stuff. You get a bunch of tokens. Uh, you play it with Goblin Dark Dwellers, and maybe your Warp World just turns into another Warp World. Like, uh, I don't know. There's like you play this with Academy Manufacturer, you get <laughs> infinite. Like basically, so the thing I I have a deck list that Ari made, mm -hmm. and you just ask for Told Glimpse of Tomorrow. Just you know, after you making your Gilded Goose drops and whatever, right. everything like that makes all, all two your permanents for one. Yeah, yeah, basically. Shuffle everything in, and then if you you put Lonus, which is a the cryptozoologist that makes uh, clue tokens mm -hmm. when creatures come to play, Academy Manufacturer, which triples all your resources with clue token foods or treasures, basically, and then you Eternal Witness back the glimpse and hopefully hit Nazratul, just cast it again, and then you just put your deck in play. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's cool. I'm in. Uh, I think that deck is nonsense, but it's nonsense I'm all about. Right. And, I mean, there is possibly some way to make this work. I'm not totally yes. sure how, but it is a really powerful effect. If this card were two-sided, the way Warp World is, it would be worth 
really yeah. trying to get, make this thing work. It ends your opponent's uh, game. Like it's yeah, the game is over. upheaval style. Like yeah, uh, the fact that it's not makes it you know a little disappointing, but probably fairer. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be playing this card. I, I like it a lot. And then last, I wanted to mention Unholy Heat. I think this is a really easy one to overlook, but I played a little of this limited format, and this is a completely messed up removal spell. This is one red mana for an instant, deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. Delirium, it deals six damage instead, if you have delirium. It, it just kills everything, and it kills planeswalkers. I mean, this type of design is actually one of the reasons that I really did not enjoy playing this limited format. I can talk about that more on a different episode, but basically like every single game that I played like felt like a blowout one way or the other and cards like this were kind of to blame. There just were individual cards with just inexplicably gigantic effects on the game. And this one is good enough to see modern play. Delirium is easy to get in modern, especially if you're playing card like Dragon's Rage Channel or like you're already set up to get Delirium that's part of the point of your deck. And then this is one mana, destroy target creature or planeswalker, and that's a good card. Yeah, I, I like this. It's a good complement to Fatal Push, even in like a uh, like a Death Shadow deck, because mm-hmm. you can just destroy a Ran Six or whatever they have. Yeah, don't have to worry about it too much. I didn't think about this card. I did read it when I was looking for red cards to put on the list, and I read it, and I'm because I haven't played Blue before that. I read it, and I'm like, six damage? God, that's so much. But I didn't really make the connection. Right. Well, because you also have to process, like, oh, or Planeswalker. Like, they can play a, a Teferi Time Raveler and plus it and pass, and this still kills that. For a mana. Yeah, for a mana, yeah. In response to the untapped land trigger. <laughs> oh, I, I was saying Time Raveler. Like, you know, if they're oh, trying to lock Raveler, you out of the sure. game, which is like... But yeah, I mean, kills Teferi Hero of Dominaria, too. Like... This kills everything dead, except for, like, a giant Death Shadow. But that's why it goes so well with Fatal Push. Also just goes well with Lightning Bolt. Like, they cover each other pretty well. I, I like this card. It'll be neat. Might see some plays in places. It is a little limited, but it does do a lot of damage. I, I think it is limited in the same way that Fatal Push is limited. And I think it is, mm-hmm. you know, Fatal Push sees a ton of play. And while you already have Lightning Bolt as your, like, first slots for this sort of effect... This card's really good. You have any more red cards to go through? No, that was it. There's just a lot of like neat roleplayer red cards that are worth talking about. I'm in charge of green. Go for it. All right. So my number five is Foundation Breaker. Ooh, okay. Uh, which is a 3G 2-2 elemental with evoke for 1G. And when it enters battlefield, you can destroy target artifact or enchantment. Mm-hmm. This is just a creature naturalize. Yep. That, that, that's a that's good enough. Reclamation Sage is great. It still sees play of modern, especially in summoner's pack decks. Mm-hmm. And this card is that card. Uh, one mana more expensive, but has the option for uh, being a cheaper cost if you just want to evoke it. Right. It also which is often worth the flexibility. Yep. And it dodges your cascade spells if you're in that sort of deck. It just does a lot of things and patches up places where we wanted this effect. I've desperately wanted. An ingot chewer that killed enchantments that wasn't Wispmare. So yeah, Lorwyn had Wispmare and ingot chewer, but it did not have a naturalized version. Right. And finally, finally, we have Foundation Breaker. Yep. Uh, my number four is Titania, Protector of Argoth, which is a three GG five three legendary elemental. My top five for green is actually all elemental. <laughs> 
Uh, when Titania enters the battlefield, you can return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, whenever a land you control is put into a graveyard on the battlefield, you can put a 5-3 elemental creature token into play. It's a lot of power for 5 mana. It's an insane amount of power for 5 mana. I disappointingly haven't really seen this from the games I've been watching in Modern, but I still kind of think the same things I thought last week, that it's a really well-statted creature that provides just a million power when it enters the battlefield. And eventually, we'll start playing with more cards other than just like the cookbook and stuff for the saga. <laughs> and I, I think Titania will have a spot in the modern format eventually. I, I don't know exactly where that is, but this effect is really strong. You make so much power. If you want to do Zorin's crazy Zorin orb stuff to like splinter twin them, sure, you, you got it. But you don't even really need to. No. Just play a fetch land, make a 5-3, or return a fetch land from your graveyard. This is just a great like top end for you know, an Elvish Reclaimer kind of deck or something like that. I like this card a lot. It just makes so much power for five mana. And maybe it sees kind of the same thing it does in Legacy, where I see it pop up every now and then as like a one of. <laughs> and it it's just role is to turn the corner really quickly in an otherwise slow deck. That's kind of mana focused. Yep. That's easier, way easier to do in Legacy because Wasteland exists, but right. it, it can still play that role in Modern plus additional stuff that, you know, waste the lack of Wasteland allows you to do in Modern, which is play five mana spells <laughs> also puts your urza saga back into play oh i'm all about urza saga don't worry that's uh <laughs> sadly close to the end of the, the episode yes. but it's it's coming we'll talk about it it's certainly a last but not least yeah, kind of scenario for sure um and number three is ignoble hierarch which is a green mana oh one goblin is it a shaman i'm not actually looking at it it's uh, gotta yes, be goblin shaman yeah with exalted and it taps for a black, a red, or a green mana. Uh, this is just Noble Hierarch, but Jund and a Goblin. Noble Hierarch is very good. Ignoble Hierarch is also very good. Yep. I think the one of the questions floating... Obviously, this card is just going to see a lot of play. If you want a mana dork that makes these colors of mana, this is probably the best you got. I think one of the questions floating around is, like, do any of the Jund midrange type decks actually want this card? And I think it is more likely than, you know, the easy answer is like, no, we want to trade a card for a card with all of our Jund cards. But some of the Jund cards really reward you for, I mean, a Jund deck that isn't locking itself into, I hope I have a one drop on turn one and a two mana spell on turn two, and then a two mana spell and a one mana spell on turn three. Like this lets you kind of break out of that paradigm. And the fact that Jund has cards like Season Pyromancer that make good use of you dumping your hand onto the table. Uh, turn two Liliana is really good against a lot of decks. Or if you're a Luris version, you actually benefit from conceptualizing your deck in such a way where it's not just like, all right, well, when I have time in a long game, I can put Luris into my hand. But like, if you have, if you're going up on mana, then it's much more likely that you're executing on that strategy. So it is, Totally possible, I think, that like mid rangey Jund decks are actually interested in this mana dork. Uh, it's also way better to Bloodbraid Elf into than people seem to think. I, so I, I don't. Jund is not the deck, either flavor of Jund, honestly, is not the deck that I want to put this card in first, right. to be honest. Right. Uh, the mid, well, most of that is because I will never play Jund, but I, I think mid range Jund 
I don't want to play that deck. I think anything with Luris is going to be way better. Mm -hmm. And I think this card with Luris is really good. Yeah. Because you already have just natural mana sinks in Hexdrinker and uh, Luris itself, Mm -hmm. which wants you to... (laughs) You can Mistress Bobble Luris's and it's free like that. Mm -hmm. But if you just can cast creatures on just the normal spells you're drawing every turn... You'd rather do that. With extra mana, you just want to... (laughs) would rather do that. And that's incredibly strong. Uh, so I really, really like this in any Lurist-style deck that wants these colors. I, I think it's very good there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care about mid-range stun at all. Yeah, that's fair. I've seen a bunch of different Goblins decks play this, because it is a Goblin, mm-hmm. uh, which has been interesting. Most of that has been in Legacy, I'll admit. Uh, food Chain was a neat one, like Goblin Food Chain with this card. Yeah. It looked really good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it'll pop up in other places. I haven't really seen that much of it yet in Modern. Most of the decks I've been seeing haven't been trying to play that kind of game. Uh, but it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's just a really good card. My number two. Oh, man, that wasn't an elemental, because now I have another one. <laughs> it's Endurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the free spell from this cycle. To finally get to the last one. Uh, 1 GG, 3, 4. Elemental Incarnation with Flash and Reach. When it enters the battlefield put up to one target player's graveyard on the bottom of his or her library in random order. So you can target either player's graveyard and it gets rid of all the cards and it shuffles into their, their library or the bottom of their library. Mm-hmm. It doesn't undo their scries. scries and brainstorms and stuff like that. Uh, this card has been kind of tearing up. It's been really good against Delver in Legacy, yeah. which is interesting. Honorog loves it against Delver. It's just huge. Yeah. It's a 3-4 reach, so it blocks all the Delvers, gets rid of the graveyard stuff so they can't Burk Tide you. It's, it's really good there. Yeah, it turns off uh, Delirium it, for their Dragon's Rage Channeler. Mm-hmm. And it is also good in Modern. doesn't do any of that stuff because it's a different format. But it is just an incidental good graveyard hate card with a relatively... It's way easier to cast than all the other elementals yeah. just as a card. And because it's a green creature, you've got the summoning Summoner's Pact kind of... a synergy there mm-hmm. it's or you can eladomri's call for it if you're an eladomri's call deck yeah you can eladomri's call for it uh, it's just uh, just a really solid it's niche it's not like the other mentals where that effect is good in pretty much every game mm-hmm. like the other elementals the only reason they're not going to be good is your opponent's just not playing creatures and you can't solitude them or whatever sure. uh this card is rarely going to be good in a normal game but if your opponent's doing the graveyard stuff or they're milling you uh it's excellent yeah and i think that ultimately like that pushes it up in my rankings uh as compared to the other elementals because focus formats like modern reward you playing focus cards that are correct for the matchup that you are playing or the things that you expect this is the type of card that in certain matchups is a complete blowout and totally disgusting and hard for your opponent to play around. And it doesn't have the problem of, oh no, I drew two rest in pieces and now like I can't do anything. Oh, I have two three fours. You're dead. Like I'm going to kill you with these. I, I just like screwed up your game plan and now I'm attacking for six every turn. Yeah, it's like a is lightning bolt or Leyland is like the better card. It's like I mean I mean usually it's lightning bolt, but when I'm playing against a graveyard deck, I do not want to draw a lightning bolt. Give me the ley lines. Right, right. <laughs> And the fact that, like, this is a relevant card, definitely way more so in Legacy, just as a card that you're happy to just draw and then cast, card is really good. Just, and I think it's going to be a huge pain in the ass. One saving grace for modern graveyard decks here is that one-shot graveyard hate 
you know, in Legacy, one-shot Graveyard Hate often is spectacular against the Graveyard decks. If you cast a reanimate and they exile your grave, they surgical you, like, well, that's pretty much it. That that That's the ballgame. I mean, a lot of that is also tied up into in Legacy. Just the next turn, you brainstorm into other stuff and then attack with your Delver and right. all that stuff. Right, right. But, like, the one-shot Graveyard Hate is really powerful in Legacy. In Modern, a bunch of the Graveyard decks, like, kind of don't super care about the Graveyard Hate unless it's a rest in peace or a ley line of the void that's sticking around you're able to rebuild or you're able to and that may be different in a world where we're doing persist stuff or etc but you know like the troll king deck you can exile the graveyard once like they're gonna they're still gonna get there we'll talk about the the troll king when we get to the cookbook i'm sure yeah or maybe asmore uh let's i want to finish up green it's my last card my number one card is a card from Strixhaven. It's a bonded harvest. <laughs> it it didn't make my list in Strixhaven because it was not part of the set. So it's got to make the list now. Yeah, I think this card is just really, really good. It's so consistent yeah. in a color that does not have any cantrips at all. Wow. Uh, I saw Canister play Amulet in with this card, and he said it was excellent, and it looked excellent. Yep. I mean, that's enough for it to make the list, right? If it is now, like, a four of an amulet regularly, then it's a, that's good enough. When amulet has this, like, card advantage thing, or not card advantage, card selection, because the last time it was busted was once upon a time. Yep. And that was a huge deal. It had to get banned. Not not necessarily because of amulet, because, like, a million decks are using a free spell. Right. I was specifically playing a deck that was a once upon a time deck that was beating amulet. That was that was the whole point of of the deck that I was playing. But yeah, Amulet was really really good with Once Upon a Time. My, also, my favorite part of Once Time being legal and modern is you admitting that Eldrazi Tron might be like a real deck <laughs> because yeah, with Once, it had Once Upon, Upon a, time, a Time you can actually do your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but Abundant Harvest is just excellent. If you, it's a single green mana. Uh, I saw a screenshot of Honorog, so this was in Legacy, but. He needed to land, and the top 20 cards of his library were not lands. <laughs> yeah, would not have come out of that one without Abundant Harvest. Right. Yeah, good card. Cast it a lot in Historic. Excited to cast it in Modern. It is... I mean, it. it is rarely, like, incredible. You know, like, sometimes you're drawing and you're like, I gotta draw Brainstorm so I can get the two cards that I need to to end this game that's the only way i get out of this alive and like a bun of harvest is never going to do that it smooths you over it makes sure that you have the right ratio of lands and spells which is a lot of the work that cantrips do it just doesn't yeah, like quite have that like yeah. crazy cantrip ceiling like cantrips are really good they're just not sexy mm-hmm. like if ponder were in modern horizons 2 and we're seeing it for the first time it would have been at the top of my list for blue way over counter spell mm-hmm. yep but i mean that card is not sexy, and it's also banned. So there's a correlation between cantrips just doing what they do and them being good. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to read... I Actually, so I, yeah, I actually I do want to bring this up. One of the most bizarre things is looking back, and like I was playing Standard when Fairies was around, and <laughs> I didn't... I didn't have fair. I didn't have ponder. It like we didn't play ponder in the fairies decks, and I wasn't playing much fairies in standard. It wasn't really my thing. I was more of a cloud thresher guy than a fairies guy. I was on that side of the the discussion, but I wasn't telling my friends who were playing fairies like 
play Ponder, your deck is, like, your win rate is 20% higher when you have Bitter Blossom on turn two. Play Ponder. It's so obvious looking back, and we just didn't get it. Yeah, this was, like, before, like, when articles would come out, like, once a week instead of, you know, five a day or mm-hmm. whatever. So th- there wasn't very much information. I remember seeing uh, Japanese nationals lists, and one Japanese player in the top eight had ponders. Genius. And people were like, is that even good? Like, this guy, this Japanese guy did it, and he, like, he didn't win nationals, but, I mean, he was the top eight. Yep. And people just, like, moved on. <laughs> So then flash forward to a couple of years later, Preordain gets printed. We start talking about, like, are we supposed to be running, just, like, put Preordain in the blue deck? Is that, like, good? There's a Shaheen Sarani article. And I remember this to this day. Because we had kind of figured it out by then. Because Ponder was seeing playing Legacy and stuff. Like, cantripping had become more of an understood thing. But still not quite there yet because Shaheen's article was like the conclusion of it was well there's just not space in a control deck to run four cantrips in it and it made me so furious that the idea of like deck space was like a guiding philosophy here when that's not a thing the only thing that matters in a deck is density and preordain gives you the density that you want given your the composition of your hand it just like smooths everything out it's not like oh no i can't run now i have to run six counter spells instead of seven well if you've got four preordains you've still got that amount of counter spells in your deck you just get to look for them more often and if they're bad you don't have to find them right so i i just remember reading that article and being like it, it clicking a little bit in my head just being like okay i think i understand this way better and now I'm, like, really angry that somebody's writing an article that just fundamentally doesn't get this, like, concept of Magic the Gathering. I am sure that Shaheen, like, pretty quickly, you know, reconsidered his view of that. And then Preordain was one of the best cards in Standard the entire time it was in. And I just remember the experience of every time somebody casting it on turn five when you were just, like, crossing your fingers, like, hope this draw step is bad for them. And then they just, like, untap and cast Preordain, and you're just like... God damn it. I just lost this game. Yep. Cantrips are busted. I mean, I think a Punter Hearts is really good. Thankfully, it is not quite on the level of uh, the blue ones right. that are on the ban list. That honestly, I mean, maybe you can unban. I am a pro on banning cards. Mm-hmm. This is, we're, we're tangenting too oh, much. Oh, for sure. My number four is Abundant Harvest. I probably just didn't put it higher because it's not a sexy card, but we're gonna play it a lot it's gonna do a lot of things i i'm actually really excited just to see because i think it'll help my own understanding of magic the gathering to see how many of the green decks that exist in modern just put abundant harvest in the deck and then it stays in that deck forever uh i i i'm really really interested in that conceptually want to see what the hive mind figures out my number three is quarion ranger Ooh, noly yes an oldie but an extreme goodie. Green for a 1-1 elf ranger. Return a forest you control to its owner's hand. Untap target creature. Activate only once each turn. This ability is really strong. I don't know if we're doing elves, but like untapping a creature is extremely powerful if it has any tap ability or whatever. I I don't know what we're doing with this. But if we're untapping an elvish archdruid, 
I mean, I guess untapping with an Elvish Archer usually ends the game, but like that's a lot. It's just so cheap, so efficient, so good at what it does. I would like to do something with this card. I I, I am pro query and ranger. I don't know if the Elvish deck I saw was playing it. But I would kind of be surprised if it wasn't, especially with Yavi Maya. Mm-hmm. You can just untap whatever, or excuse me, return whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, even with just like a low land count deck with mana dorks, I was going to miss my third land drop, but instead I get to use that to make a mana and untap my mana guy so that this is functionally a mana guy with upside going later in the game because you have bigger things to untap at some point. It's just very good at what it does. Uh, my number two is Ignoble Hierarch, and my number one is Endurance. Just thinking a lot about the impact that's going to have on older formats. And also, if you're playing a graveyard deck and you're playing against a green deck, you're just going to have to be thinking about this card all the time. You'll be thinking about it the most when they just have three mana up, and you're like, man, they're just going to put a creature into play now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when you're going to be like more disappointed. Right, because then that's you're under a threat now. Like, the clock is ticking, and then you'll be extra punished when they like when you do your thing on turn two and they just get you. And you're like, man, that come on. And and that is a little bit my concern. There's not a great way to deal with this. You can't get under it because it costs zero mana. Playing slow often means they'll get some value out of it and then start putting you under pressure. Uh, it's just like kind of good against whatever game plan the graveyard deck is taking. I think you just have to try to do your graveyard thing as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, because them burning a card is better than having a creature. Yeah, that's true. And it's so cheap. It's only three mana. And it just depends on how many resources you have to throw away to be doing that and stuff. I mean, the calculus is kind of tough, I, but... Yeah, and the graveyard decks are better at refilling, like you said. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, some of it you would rather have them spend a bunch of cards to get rid of your, your graveyard and then try to rebuild rather than... Yeah do more graveyard stuff slowly and then just get blown out and now they're attacking you. Right, right, true. And it'll vary from game by game, but I think that's the general framework I'm working on right now. Yeah, and the earlier you do it, the less choice they have of like what card to blow to endurance and stuff. And so you kind of want to force that if you can, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do have an honorable mention to Sanctum Weaver slash Enchantress's Presence. And then also okay. Sterling Grove and Sithis Harvest Hand. I mean, those are multicolored cards. The enchantment package. But there's a whole Enchanter's deck in this set. Uh, Sanctum Weaver is a two-mana green enchantment creature that taps add X mana of any one color where X is the number of enchantments you control. So worst case, this is a two-mana creature that taps for a mana of any color. It's going to be better than that. Your deck is all enchantments if you're playing this. So they kind of can't let you untap with this. And you've also got other things that they can't let you untap with. Sithis Harvest Hand, which is just a two-mana Enchantress that is an enchantment, right? And then yeah. Enchantress's it is. presence in Sterling Grove are key cards for the Enchantress deck. The tools exist here for this thing to be something. I don't know exactly where it goes, but they kind of gave us all of the engine pieces. I believe there were six Enchantress decks in the like 5-0 decks I looked at today. Oh, boy. And I didn't really... It was too. There were so many deck lists, I really couldn't look at them that all. That makes sense. <laughs> and I, 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 my eyes were just kind of glazing over at that point, so I don't really remember that well. But the fact that there were six means they were like extremely different in build. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a, a large experimentation period for this Enchantress deck. 
Uh, I don't know if it'll get there. I kind of hope it does, because that would be an interesting different aspect to the format. Uh, but that's kind of, we'll just have to see. Yeah. I mean, it is going to be a prison sort of deck generally, probably. But that's an okay thing to have exist in the format, as long as there's ways to battle against it. Yeah, we need um, whatever the enchantment version of Shatterstorm is. Is there Fracturing one? Fractured Fracturing, Yeah, Fractured Gust. Yeah, that's true. Oh. And you can still regenerate your enchantments, but yeah, <laughs> that's the best you'll get. <laughs> Moving on to the multicolored cards. There's just like a lot. So I just kind of picked my favorites, but there's like a bunch that are going to do things. Yeah. So initially, f- funny, I asked if we were like combining the artifacts and like the multicolored cards and the lands, but there's just like so many good cards in the set mm-hmm. that you, we couldn't do that. Yeah. So we're going to do a multicolored section and we're going to do a colorless section. My number five multicolored card is Vindicate, one white black, sorcery, destroy target permanent. You know, Maelstrom Pulse is fine. It's seen play. Putting on the ability for this card to just be actively great when you're playing against, like Tron, or just kill your opponent if they miss a land drop. There are going to be very few, like, four Vindicate decks. But it's going to serve a role. I also just love this card. It's a classic, and it's good to have it in modern, a place where it can actually do something. And it kills utility lands, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if your opponent's playing Academy Ruins or... Uh, Urza Saga, yeah. just get that out of there. I, which Those lands are really good. You know, that's not the best exchange for you. Like, they spent zero mana on the Urza Saga. You have to Vindicate it now. But you might, if you didn't do that, you'd probably just die to the Constructs. So you're pretty happy that you have this rather than, you know, an Abrupt Decay that kills one of the Constructs and then the other one is still good. It's also something to be said for being, like, in a different color combination than a green-black card. Mm-hmm. Because uh, black and white are a lot more controlling than green is. True. So you you know you play this in Esper, you play this in small pocket decks. You just like have more options for cards now. Definitely. I don't have a lot to say about it specifically. Like we know what this card Ooh. is, but it, it's nice to have. If you want to destroy permanent and you're white or black, this is the card. Exile it to grief. It allows you to do that or solitude. You know, it combines both of those things. If somehow you're trying to do both. Which I guess an ephemerate deck that is white and black is probably playing both, so you probably want. And this is a key for other decks that are playing like multiple elementals. You really want multicolored cards, and that really mm-hmm. helps get your counts right. And so Vindicate may do that for the white-black decks. Stuff like Spell Queller and my number four card, Moderation, do that for the blue-white decks. Although, honestly, like Moderation... The blue-white decks are probably more interested in having cards that overlap that you can exile to Solitude and Force of Negation rather than Solitude and Subtlety, but yeah, same thing. Moderation is one, a white and a blue for an enchantment. You can't cast more than one spell each turn. Whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. I just think this works really well with Solitude. I think that just generally, you know, a blue-white Stoneforge Mystic deck, this is a way for you to play like a powerful card advantage kind of game. You're not really interested in casting more than one spell a turn in those decks generally anyways and this gives you a, a solid long game plan against a lot of stuff i, I actually saw the aether vial moderation solitude deck nice uh, i don't remember whether it was on twitter or like someone was just trying it out or if it was a deck dump i don't remember exactly but i do know that people were trying it out in that space mm-hmm. which is cool because those cards work all work really well together yeah, and I think this card is good. I think it's in the perfect colors for this effect. And 
you know, you want to be casting spells on your turn and their turn so that you're getting the maximum use out of it. And you want to have ways to use those cards that aren't casting, you know, if, if you draw a bunch of cards and you can only cast one spell each turn, you, you may have more cards. So, you know, the elementals and force negation just go. It's just the right colors for this. It's very clear what you want to be doing with it. My number three card is General Ferris Rakiric. General. Good pronunciation. <laughs> rock Rock, General Iron Rock, something like that. Yeah, his name is very repetitive. <laughs> this is one, a red, and a white for a 3-1 human soldier. Legendary. Hexproof from monocolored. Whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token. I've already seen this in play. Causing problems. It is hard to kill. The removal needs to change a little bit to address this creature. It's like people's removal suites are going to specifically be taking this thing into account, I believe. You can't Fiddle Push it, you can't Lightning Bolt it, you can't Path to Exile it, you can't... You know, people have started playing Prismatic Ending, that doesn't kill it. Uh, Vanishing Verse is a multicolored spell, but... Doesn't hit multicolored cards. Doesn't hit multicolored cards. You know, you need a Lightning Helix, or you need a Prismari Command. You need to be thinking about what you're doing in order to kill this creature. The best card I've seen against this is Renan 6. Yes. Because it does only have one toughness. Yes, you do not want to run this into a Ren and Six. You want to be really aware of what your opponent is doing in that regard. But holy crap, this puts a lot... If they can't kill it, then it just ends the game. It makes a lot of power. And, and it's hard to kill. Like, it just takes over the game instantly. Yep. I've seen it in zoo decks, especially ones that have, like, Shardless Agent and Bloodbird Elf. And, you know, I've seen turns that are, like, General Ferris, Rakiric, go. Shoot, I can't kill it. And then the turn is like, Bloodbraid Elf, hit a Manamorphose, cast a Lightning Helix off of the Manamorphose. Here's my golems. <laughs> There's my They're golems. They're going to attack you next turn. So I, I've also just seen it in Niv-Mizzet, and not even just like the sideboard. I've seen it in the main deck of Niv-Mizzet decks as just, here's a slightly different plan. We don't need to play for forever. I'm going to put this guy into play. If you kill it, I'll eventually cast a niv it. it's fine. If you don't kill it, I will kill you. Yep, this card is a... It's just a huge clock. Yeah. Like a, you do have to bend your deck slightly, but not really that much. I've seen this put you can play in humans, which is just... It's only gold cards or like Unsettled Mariner. I saw... They yeah, did you play a little more. Like they were playing Unsettled Mariner. But, I mean, that's just a card people were kind of considering playing anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you have a reason to play it and it just makes a 4-4 on the way deal yeah so you have what like mantis rider mariner meddling mage and reflector mage. reflector mage that's not bad yeah and there was only a two of i think it wasn't even like a this is my plan this is just like this is a good card in my humans deck i will play slightly different cards sure because when i draw it i want it to do its thing mm-hmm. and you know it did well yeah yeah uh my number two is shardless agent this is you know we all know what this card is one a green blue for a two two artifact creature human rogue i think and it has cascade yep human rogue good job i don't think that we're really playing much in the way of like shardless bug decks in modern nope please no just just put the rhino stupid rhino card into play every time you cast this card or have general uh whatever his name is ferris yep into play yep 
like do something really busted when you play Star Wars Legion. Don't like flip into Thoughtseize or whatever. That's how you lose games in modern, especially right now. It's that's just not what we're doing. Yeah, the Rhino deck looks powerful. Living End, this is has consolidated it down to just being teamer. That's really nice. If you want to do things with the general, this is a way to cast multiple multicolored spells really easily. Cascade is just a pretty busted mechanic, and this has it. And Cascade is so good that we play cards that effectively have no other text because we just want to Cascade. This is those cards, and it comes with a 2-2. You take, like, Mm -hmm. any magic card that is playable and you add a 2-2 onto it, then that card becomes nuts. So if this were a 0-1 artifact creature with all the same text, Mm -hmm. it would still be the same card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like essentially like being a creature is a huge benefit because you get to do like the stuff you can to manipulate with creatures like you can tutor for it you can reveal it off of uh you can grab it with uh any raised effect so basically mm-hmm. it's a creature you can also uh, and- use it through a deafening silence because deafening silence says you players can only play one non-creature spell each turn yep i <laughs> I have decided that Cascade is my least favorite mechanic in all <laughs> of Magic. That's pretty fair. Uh, I'd rather see them print like five more cards with Dredge, Storm, and Delve than another card with Cascade. <laughs> <laughs> At least like a three mana Cascade card. Or, you know, three or less. Because there's also a two mana Cascade card in this set, which is thankfully a little harder to realize. But I've also seen in deck lists and been disgusted by. <laughs> yeah. And maybe should have mentioned Bloodbraid Marauder in the red section. It is a little harder to enable, but it also means that it because it's a two-mana Cascader once you've turned it on, like, your deck can be constructed differently from, like, you just need no one-mana spells and it can cascade into your respell. So even that card is definitely going to do things. Yep, I hate Cascade. <laughs> Starless Agent's really, really good because Cascade's really busted. That's kind of like the card. Yep. And then my last gold card is Asmore. This is the card with like 31 characters in the name. No mana cost. Legendary creature, human wizard. As long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay a black or red hybrid to cast a spell. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Sacrifice two foods. Target creature deals six damage to itself. And the Underworld Cookbook is a one-mana artifact. You can tap, discard a card to make a food, and you can pay, like, four mana and tap and sacrifice it to raise dead. This card is unreal. It, it looked okay to me. I actually kind of like the Underworld Cookbook better. Seeing it mm-hmm. on the battlefield, it's... It just makes no sense. The it's I mean the three terminates with the cookbook. It's so crazy. Right. The the terminates that you're getting. You know, I watched Doomwake playing against Amulet, which is probably like a reasonably bad matchup if your opponent knows what they're doing for the food deck. But if Asmore is in play, like opponent just couldn't win. It killed all of their dryads, it killed all of their titans. They had a bunch of lands into play that did nothing. Yeah, this I my favorite part about this card being actually good is all the people who, you know, when this card was spoiled, it obviously reads like a joke card because it has no mana cost. Its name is like Yeah, on un- four cards. Unpronounceable, long. yeah. And you're just like 
if you don't get that this card is referencing like granite gargoyles flavor text <laughs> which is an alpha card you're just like this is clearly a joke card they're just messing with us mm-hmm. and everyone's like this card's like clearly unplayable but it's just happens to be one of the breakout cards in the set yeah and the food deck that is you know based around feasting troll king you bring that back from the graveyard uh, that deck is really good mm-hmm. it is the closest thing to a hogak that we got out of this set i think it's which is finally full circle too because when feasting troll king yeah. was previewed hogak had just been dethroned and banned mm-hmm. and people were like oh no is this hogak too but it wasn't but now yeah i really really like Doomake's version where he's gotten to you know the early versions the black green one yeah yeah black green one early versions had like you know goblin lore burning inquiry stuff which may be a way to do this the way that he's gone now running a couple of witches ovens as well and i think really really key is running urza saga with this so even if they do hate your graveyard out you can just like make some seven sevens and kill them you have a lot of artifacts in play urza saga Step three gets you another Underworld cookbook or a witch's oven. And as long as you've got good one mana artifacts, and like, yeah, that, that deck looks really good to me. And this is a really big key component of it. You don't have to play any removal spells in your deck, but you're still really protected from all of the good creatures in modern. This just kills every one of them, except for like protection from red creatures. And like even if they have like a seven toughness creature, because Asmore only does six damage, you can still sacrifice an extra two food and kill it anyway. Yeah. Yep. You can just do that. It's pretty unreal. Also, one of the other cool things that Devin's deck was doing is finale of devastation for X equals zero just puts this card into play. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah. I. Especially like the oval chase daredevils in that list. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, you discard it. It's like a card from Kaladesh. I don't think anyone has really ever tried to cast. They just put it in deck to do generic stuff. Because <laughs> uh, whenever an artifact enters battlefield, you can return it from your graveyard to your hand. So you just pick it up, discard it to the cookbook, make a food. The food yep. <laughs> triggers the daredevil. You put it back in your hand. Ready to do it again next turn. It's your cat. Really, your really, really silly. Cookbook. If you've got, yeah, if you've got two cookbooks, it's just. Yeah, and so these decks play the full set of four Underworld Cookbook, which I think you're absolutely supposed to do. You want as many of those in play as you can get. Yeah, this card is is very good. The the combination of Asmore and the Cookbook is is very strong. Yeah, and they come together. Mm -hmm. Not bad. My gold cards are are really similar to yours. I also have Vindicate at number five. Nice. I have General Ferris or Kyrick at number four. Uh, number three, I actually have Grist the Hunger Tide. Okay. Which is a insect, excuse me, it's a, a 1GB3 loyalty planeswalker uh, that's also a 1-1 black and green insect in addition to its other types when it is not on the battlefield. Uh, it's plus one. God, I have to read a planeswalker? I was tricked. <laughs> it's plus one, makes a 1-1 insect. Then you mill a card. If that card you milled is an insect, you put a loyalty counter on Grist and you repeat the process. So if you randomly mill an insect, you get an extra loyalty and get to go again. But there are no insects right. in modern. Save you so a search. Not coming out. <laughs> Except for Unsettled best... Mariner. Yeah, Unsettled Mariner, Hornet Queen, you're done. That's it. That's all of them. His minus two is you can sacrifice creature when you do destroy target creature or Pineswalker. Uh, and his minus five is each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. 
the reason I like this card is because it reminds me very much of Doretti, uh Ingenious Iconoclast, mm-hmm. which is a busted cute card. Yep. And this, similar to Doretti, makes a 1-1 every turn. It's really, really easy to get into play and rebuy, which is like some of the best things you can do with Planeswalkers. Right. It's just very easy to like collect a company off this or tutor it up or put it into play off of a persist you can even do. Which is funny, because that's the way to get a minus one point counter Ooh, on a Planeswalker. Yes, you're right. It's only a 1-1 one, one in the graveyard, so, you know, that minus one minus one counter doesn't do nothing to it. Uh, but it also gives you a lot of removal spells, uh, because it's minus two lets you kill not only creatures by sacrificing one of your insects that you've got laying around, uh, but it also kills Planeswalkers, which is a pretty big deal. And definitely something I didn't really think of when I read it, mm-hmm. but this is a really cheap way to just have a card advantage or a, uh, a board advantage card mm-hmm. that also deals with planeswalkers yeah. very easily. And planeswalkers often are tough for these sort of like black green. My creatures don't really die. You know, they're like young wolves and stuff like that. They don't really die, but they don't pressure planeswalkers very well, especially if you have anything blocking for them. Like being able to kill the planeswalker is really good in that sort of deck. Mm hmm. I have seen him as a one of in a couple of different lists. I, I think that's kind of where he'll stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think this card is like super powerful enough or because it's a, if it's a, if this card or a minus one, you could talk me into being like, wow, this card right. is busted. And it just but, is like three terminates. Yeah. Yeah. But because it's a minus two, it, it's, I think, mostly serves as that one overall. Mm-hmm. And maybe you board up more if there's just a bunch of slow decks in the format or something. Sure. Uh, but but I, I I like this card. It's pretty versatile. It's just good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into it. it. It's just filling a specific role, and that role is like kind of similar to Skyclave Apparition in the white decks. This just mm-hmm. is in the black decks. Uh, number two is also Shardless Agent. God, I hate Cascade. Yep. Uh, and my number one is Asmore. Card's real good. I don't have any overrated cards for the multicolored things. I I don't think there was anything really there. I do want to honorable mention i should have shouted out fire ice when i talked about shardless agent fire ice actually like kind of good enough for modern it, it's looked okay in some stuff yeah it's i think people started playing it because of the shardless agent because you can't cascade into mm-hmm. it uh but it's ice is just really good still right. <laughs> it's a good effect like, tap your land draw a card is a classic move from 2000 and it's you know still good 20 years later i mean it is a particularly good effect when your deck is restricting you from being able to do anything on turn two so you're like happy like that's a good enough turn two when otherwise you'd be skipping it is like tap your land and hope that really messes you up because when it's just a kind of like medium risk super high reward if you didn't get to do anything on your turn like boy that really worked out now i'm gonna cascade into some four fours uh it also like smooths things out i saw a lot of hands you know aspiring spike was playing this deck i just saw a lot of games where it was like we need to draw our third land but fortunately ice draws a card so we'll tap down your land and i got a really good shot of having three mana on turn three i kind of want to mention another card yes a kind of a dual a dual mention which is uh territorial kavu and cyano draco uh-huh. cyano draco is not really a colorless card like come on yeah it's a five color card masquerading <laughs> These cards have been seeing play. I have not been impressed with either so far. Uh, but people are playing the Zoo decks that 
you know, R&D hoped they would. So, I mean, points for them. Yeah, maybe they will be okay. They look pretty pathetic versus Feasting Troll King. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm... Uh, the Feasting Troll King deck does not scare me as much as the Hogak deck did from previous mm-hmm. Modern Horizons, which is good, because no deck should do that. Right. Uh, I think it's, like, a good... The Feasting Troll King deck is very good. I hope it kind of stays at the power level it is, where it's good, but, you know, you can still play it. You can still play into it without having to just play it. Yeah. It's possible. Like, the deck isn't solved yet. There's still a couple of slots that are just like, I don't really know what to do with these. And if those, if something really clicks and it sets in and it's like, oh no, then, you know, we could really get there in the development of the deck and it could be a problem. As it exists now, you know, it's beatable. There's things you can do. You know, I watched like, I watched Doomwake just like 5 0 his first two leagues in a row with a build of the deck. But. Nobody played a rest in peace against him. Nobody was playing like Amulet with Karn, which is really good against the deck. Nobody did any, you know, even like Stony Silence is like pretty good against the deck. Shut down your your cookbooks and now you don't have a way to generate food and a lot of your stuff is bad. Yep, it's just cooking to generate food. That's it. That's nothing else. Yeah. or like And, and casting Feasting Trolking. Ensnaring Bridge. Like if I Karn for an Ensnaring Bridge, you can't kill me anymore, especially game one. Just, you know, 20 turns of culture failure. Yeah, you're not going to get there. Like, I'm going to find Graveyard Hate first, or or I'm going to have Especially a card in play so you yeah. can't activate Witch's Oven, so... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so, like, yes, absolutely there are ways to fight it. It does sometimes do Feasting Troll King turn 2, Feasting Troll King turn 3, and those, those games are tough. I'm cool with modern decks having a little bit of a nut draw. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. I just don't know exactly how often that does happen. It's certainly possible for that to be too much, too often. But I don't know if that if the deck is there yet. Um, I I do uh, want to mention as one honorable mention, Dakin. I think this card is actually like reasonably playable. Dakin Shadow Slayer. I've just seen it cast. You know, five lands in play comes down with five loyalty, kills a thing, surveils from there, and like it, surveilling two each turn gets you to the it's, stuff. You it's need. a lot of selection. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen this card in play yet. I don't think it's horrible, mm-hmm. but I also don't know where to put it. So Yeah, I don't really either. One really cute thing is if you're doing Esper Stoneblade and you have gotten your culture complete and they've killed your Stoneforge Mystic, this can cheat your culture complete into play. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty nice. I'll give it that. It will see some play, though. It is pretty good. Like, if it were a less restrictive mana cost, then I think it would see a lot of play because it really does have a good effect on the game. But you do need to be in three specific colors in order to cast it. If it's not Esper, you lose on, on like, the nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. But it would be a better card, yeah, if it just lost a color. I want to move on to colorless. I don't have any honorable mentions for multicolored. Let's do it. Who's in charge? I'm in charge of colorless cards. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> okay. Worked out. So number five, I've got Culture Complete. Uh, I had bashed this, I think, previously. Uh, because I conceptualized that this card had haste, but it didn't occur to me until it was put into play on turn three of the Stone Fortress stick and I attacked that, oh, oh yeah, this card has haste. Wow. Yeah. That's just a whole turn better than I thought it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, this card's huge. Like It's just gigantic. Mm-hmm. It, all the stuff we said like last week applies. It's got all these keywords. It's basically unblockable. It kills really fast. 
I just also want to mention that now I know it has haste. <laughs> did you not know it had haste, or did you not process the effect that would have on a game? If you asked me, the, does the card have haste? I would have said yes. Mm-hmm. Helm of Galdra gives haste. That card has haste. Okay. If you asked me if I file this in on turn three, can I attack with it? I would have said no. Gotcha. And then I would have went, wait a second. <laughs> yes. Well, that certainly is a difference maker. That cuts a whole turn off the clock there. Uh, and that that is why I was reasonably high on this card, is because you you know, against the control deck, if they let you on top of the Stoneforge Mystic and you put your Batter Skull into play, you're not necessarily feeling like, oh man, I got this one. But this clock is a lot better. Yeah, it really is. Wow, yeah. I, I'm on board with Culture Complete. I, I like this card. Sure. I mean, I already liked it. I just now think it's also very good. Now you, yeah, you get it a little bit more, yeah. Uh, my number four is Yavi Maya, Cradle of Growth. Uh, the Green Herbore Cove. It's a land that makes all other lands forests. I mean, this is also not a sexy one, kind of like Abundant Harvest. I just like cards that let me be more <laughs> consistent. And if I'm playing a green deck, this card does that. <laughs> it doesn't have any cool combos, because, I mean, if they wanted to do that, they would have printed the mountain one, so we could all die to Valakut over and over again. I think it's very intentional that they chose forests. Can't print the mountain one. But, yeah, it's just a card that... A land I will put in many mana bases because green mana is quite good, Mm -hmm. and I will want this. Yep. It also does, like, you know, kind of interesting stuff. If you're playing the Warp World deck, like, this can make your fetch lands make mana after you Warp World if you don't want to have to keep fetching and stuff. Yeah. That that matters a little bit, because that's always a neat thing you can do with Urborg. Usually black is, like, black mana and green mana are very different. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, usually black spells are very black intensive. Right. Uh, and green spells aren't, which means it's better with fetch lands because you like, you don't need to c- devote to tapping so many of them. Sure. But it's also kind of mitigates the necessity of Yavi Maya. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly like what's the specific, you know, I'm not thinking of anything where like, oh yeah, now I got all this green mana. I- I'm sure it'll do hey. things just because like Urborg does random things. This will do random things. Uh, ginger brute cabin, gingerbread cabin sure. is the uh, that makes the sense. most the most thing that comes to mind where you just make a food. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Kind of simple. Going to number three is Zabaz, the Glimmer Wasp. Uh, it's a one mana artifact with way too much text. Uh, let me find it. Yeah, one mana legendary insect. It's a zero zero, but it has modular one. It also says if a modular trigger ability would put one or more plus one counters on a creature you control, put that many plus one of those counters on it instead. Red activated ability of destroy target artifact you control. White activated ability of gains flying until end of turn. Uh, this is a just a hardened scales card. Mm-hmm. I believe this was one of the earliest cards previewed, and we talked about how hardened scales just wanted four or more arcbound workers. And this is about as good a version as they could ever make. Yep. An arcbound worker that makes all your modular cards better. Uh, is not dead in multiples. Mm-hmm. And in fact, is like often a really good draw in multiples. Cause like, yeah. Like if you have a hardened scales in play and as a boss in play, as a boss is one mana put three counters onto something, often a hanger back walker or walking ballista. Like that's a great card. Yeah, it's, it's quite good. And Dom just won the challenge with hardened scales uh, this past mm-hmm. Sunday, I believe, and which is nice to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate having affinity decks back in the format so not only do i just enjoy artifact decks like at like a base level i, I like hardened scales i owned all the cards 
uh, except for the autolith, which I did immediately purchase. Good, good work. Uh, after the challenge results. <laughs> but not only do I just like artifact decks, I think it's good for the format to have more pressure on sideboards. Yeah. So that now you have to play like Graveyard Hate and Artifact Hate and like other deck hate. You can't just load up on one specific thing to shore up your deck's main weakness. You like have to diversify a little bit, which makes decks just overall weaker mm-hmm. or more uh, pressed for space. Right. It, it, it makes and it gives you more of an opportunity to choose the thing for the weekend that people aren't targeting. It, as long as that span is greater, then you have more opportunity to analyze and get it right. Uh, my number two is the Underworld Cookbook, which we can talk about again, but it's basically the same thing as Asmore at this point. Right. Uh, they're mostly in the same decks. You can play the Underworld Cookbook without, but as it stands right now, there's not a lot of reason to. I mean, right. As long as Asmore is around, you absolutely want to play them together because so what this does like we we loved like we played putrid imp putrid imp is actually a really good card this is just a one black mana one one discard a card to give it flying until end of turn and then threshold it gets plus one plus one and can't block i think yeah but it's a one mana card that lets you keep discarding cards underworld cookbook is really similar you weren't getting much out of the discard for putrid imp Underworld Cookbook on its own, kind of similar. With Asmo, though, you're getting half of a Terminate every time you discard a card. <laughs> if you're crazy and do it Academy Manufacturer stuff, every time you discard cards, you get three things, including the clue. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Underworld Cookbook is, is a good card. Yeah, it is just a good card. My number one colorless card. I, I bet I can guess what this card oh, is. Okay. Oh, this might surprise you. It's, it's not, not going to surprise you. <laughs> it's it's Urza Saga. The card, not the set. This card is messed up, I believe is what we said at the very first Modern Horizons <laughs> preview thing we did. It, it was the first card previewed, right? It was this encounter spell yeah. that we saw? Yeah, this counter spell and like some of the random one of yep. uh, Grief, I think, was also in the same batch. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah, Urza Saga we called as being quite good. And now I'm very confident it is the best card in the set. It's in every one of the best looking decks that i've seen all the decks that are like oh shoot that's got to be good the hardened scales decks the like more affinity ish artifact decks the food decks amulet it's in every one of the lists that i'm like oh damn that's a good modern deck so it's i'll read this card i guess since i haven't done that yet uh, man i read grist and not urza saga <laughs> so this is an enchantment land and it's with the with the type line urza saga very cute. It's adorable. Chapter 1, Urza Saga gains tap, add a colorless mana. And for these abilities, they are permanent. You don't lose them in a turn. So after Chapter 1 resolves, it has that ability until it dies. The same with Chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 2 is Urza Saga gains 2 tap, create a 0-0 construct artifact creature token with it gets plus 1 plus 1 for each artifact creature you control. Uh, a construct. Just the foresight that we had in creating construct tokens when only one card made them and then just absolute evergreen in their usefulness. Everybody needs a CCR and Collins construct duo. This makes two constructs. You need the two constructs. It does. It's perfect. And chapter three is search your library for an artifact card with mana cost specifically zero or one and put it onto the battlefield and then shuffle 
Uh, so the main thing here is chapters two and three. Like chapter one, it's pretending to be a land. So you're like, oh, this is pretending to be a land. But it is just the tip of the iceberg. Yep. This card kind of splits into, are you mainly tutoring it with it? Or are you mainly constructing with it? You're always gonna con- you're always gonna tutor if you're constructing, but like Amulet, for instance, is mostly interested in the tutor because you you just play this on turn one. You're not really making constructs. You just get an Amulet on turn three and kill them. Mm-hmm. But you put a Titan into play. That's like the main thing you're doing with this card. You don't really care about constructs, but if the game goes long, you're still gonna make them. Yeah. Uh, it's also neat that I've heard some people say that you can, and this is accurate. You can do this. Uh, use Bounce Lands with Sakura Tribe Scout. Right to recycle it, you know, re- yeah, tutor out your amulet and then yep, bounce back to your hand. And if we're not in a uh, prowess world anymore, then you can switch back to tribe scout from Arboreal Grazer and do that sort of thing. Yeah, if people are not lava darting you. By all means, go for mm-hmm. it. Uh, recycling Urza Saga is incredibly strong. I watched multiple games Dom played with Power Conduit, which was doing a similar thing <laughs> where you just remove a the board counters, counter yeah. after you after you do Chapter Three. That's adorable. So that card, Power Conduit, got cut. No, no one played that card, by the mm-hmm. way. It got cut from the deck immediately after the tournament, but it was very strong, specifically with Urza Saga. Right. It doesn't, and it, yeah, not a good card, obviously, but that is really cute. Okay, chapter two, the Construct mode. So we used to pay four mana for this in standard with Karn, mm-hmm. and you know, get our two constructs, and then have a Karn left over. Uh, that was four mana. That's kind of like the cost of what this is, but you can't pay for it in installments. Also, you can counter that Karn. But you could counter Karn. You can't tutor... This card also makes two constructs, and it just tutors Expedition Map, and you can just do it all over again. Uh, the thing that it tells me this card is just extremely strong, other than, you know, playing with it, is that I saw a blue-white control deck that top eight of the challenge. That's just normal blue-white control, like counter spells to fairies, that sort of thing. That just had, like, three Expedition Maps, uh, three Mistress Bobbles, and four of Saga. Just... All right, we're playing blue-white control, except for this card is so good, we're dr- dropping it in here if, and just making construct. If that's actually good, then that is a sign to me that this card really is a problem, right? Like, if you're willing to stretch so, that far. But that may not I, actually be good, is what I'm hoping. So I I think two things here about that example is that was the first tournament with the, the set. Sure. So people are doing wild and crazy things, and... Some of that equity you get is from people just playing really bad versions of decks. Mm -hmm. And Urza Saga is one of those cards that is just really good on its own and doesn't really need that much. And that is kind of scary, uh, but I don't think it's going to be like, you know, Blue-White Control is now an Urza Saga deck. I think it's just the decks that can utilize Urza Saga best are going to be the ones you want to play. Yeah. Not necessarily, you know, pick up your gen deck, throw some Urza Sagas in it, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And I think that those decks right now are pretty clearly Amulet, Affinity, slash Hardened Scales stuff. And excitingly, the non-Hardened Scales Affinity deck has Affinity cards in it. I've seen Frogmites in the wild. Frogmites? Uh, what's the the new one? Sojourner's Companion, I think Yeah, it's yeah, the new uh, Mirror Enforcer. Wow, it's really impressive I could remember that name. <laughs> and I mean, a lot of, you know, these decks are really succeeding off of the back of Urza Saga. It is just doing that. You know, we we liked playing, you know, Master of Ethereum, or maybe we'd have a Karn as our top end, and it makes two big constructs. This just does it on one of your lands, and that land dies into... I needed 
to keep making mana, so I got a Springleaf drum, or I needed an I wanted an Arcbound worker in play, and that maybe represents a ton of counters over the course of like me sacrificing it through multiple modular creatures and then putting it onto a walking ballista. Or like here's the Ozolith so that yeah. now I'm insulated against drafts and stuff like that. Right. So I also so like I saw Doomwake playing that that really bad blue dice tron or not tron dice factory deck against heliod and there was one game where pretty much all that he did was play urza saga and it just won the game on its own it got a pithing needle that shut down the combo made two seven sevens and then just clocked them with the constructs until they died because they couldn't combo off yep other artifacts just kind of sitting there looking pretty just just not important. just pumping the constructs they could have had no text whatsoever just dark still relics all around yeah Yeah, this card is uh whew, this card's messed up. It's something. Yeah, and if you naturally include ones and zeros in your deck anyways, it becomes that much better. You're not like stretching at all. It's getting you cards that you want actively as part of your strategy, whether those are cookbooks and ovens or arcbound workers and springleaf drums. And it also does a really good job, you know, like in the food deck. You can rest in peace me. I'm gonna make some seven sevens with these Urza sagas. You're there's a decent chance that you just still die to that. This card may follow time-tested Urza Saga, the set mm-hmm. the tropes and need to be banned if it's too powerful. We'll see. Uh, it's the only card I'm remotely frightened of in a set. I agree. Be, uh, like, of that happening. Uh, but I hope it doesn't because it's really strong, really fun. Like, I love Hardened Scales. It's a really cool deck. Mm-hmm. And I would like to play with it. <laughs> Honestly, I think... Even if Urza Saga goes, scales like might have a shot just because like getting those extra Archbound workers is such a gigantic difference maker for the deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the problem with Urza Saga is that it kind of artificially inflates the power level of like all the decks it's in, right? Because like you can't thought seize it. You put it into play, it makes giant creatures for you, and then it tutors or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just reading the text of the card, but you, you just have to play a land in your deck, and it does all this stuff. That's it. They can't interact with it. It is exploitable in a couple of ways. The primary things you can do to turn it around from, oh no, they're Urza Saga-ing me, into I am blowing them out. If you Nature's Claim it, that's generally really good for you. That's just a one-mana Stone Rain and maybe really disrupted their plans. Uh, Force of Vigor also hits this, and often... If you can get this, you know, and they played an artifact and you get this and that artifact, like that is doing it. Yeah, that's backbreaking. Green cards at a premium Mm -hmm. with uh, Force of Vigor around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to go over my list, my list is really similar to yours. My number five is the Underworld Cookbook. Maybe just should be higher than that. That card's very good. Uh, My number four is Culture Complete. Probably just switch those two the same way that you had. My number three is actually Cursed Totem. So this okay. is just a two-mana artifact, activated abilities of creatures, can't be activated. It just is a good artifact hate card that shuts down some pretty specific stuff. Yogmoth deck doesn't work super well, at least you can't combo off through it. The Heliad deck, most of his creatures just become really awful creatures. It would be a way more impressive card in a time before Skyclave Apparition, but... Now it's just one of your things that could get Skyclave apparitioned and is good until that happens. I think that's a, a good place for like an artifact like that to yeah. be. 
Uh, my number two is Zabaz. Does very obvious things for hardened scales. And then my number one is Urza Saga. And I agree, this is just the best card in the set. I think it is a full tier. I, you know, we were talking about this before, but I think it's a full tier above anything else in the set, including the incarnations. Uh, and I think it's also really, really busted in older formats too. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a couple of cards I want to mention. Mm hmm. From the colorless section, Academy Re or not researcher, Manufacturer is the first mm -hmm. one. Is a three mana one three assembly worker artifact creature. Uh, whenever you make a clue, food, or treasure, instead you make all of them, like one of each. Uh, this card is just a ton of cardboard on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, Canister has been really trying to break this card over the past few days, playing increasingly deranged moves, <laughs> of, like really just trying to make this card work. And honestly, when I, I've watched several of these streams, and when that card is in play, it's very threatening. If it doesn't die, uh, you like play a Gilded Goose. You get a, the fact that this makes treasures. It gives you mana every time you do your thing. Uh, is really impactful. Yes, I think it is mostly a screenshot generator more than like. I do think that as well. It, it's got like high upside, but it's a three mana card that's so flimsy and it, it forces you to play with some weird cards that it's, I, I think it's not worth it, but it's also a card that, you know, food and treasures are evergreen. And if we ever get away from detectives on every single card that makes a clue, maybe clues will get evergreen. Mm -hmm. So like the more of these cards that are printed, the more likely this card is to break at some point in the future. And that's mostly what I have my eye on. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it has very specific weaknesses. It costs three mana. It has three toughness. It's the most killable. But, and, and it is an artifact. So, you know, it, it's about as killable as you possibly can get. But obviously, if you execute, it it executes. So, I it is cool. I like the, the best part, of, I think, about this card. Well, at least the funnest part. Is that when you have multiples of these in play, you like go up so far in making things. Because the second one, you make nine. Because instead of making one of each, you make three of each. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, you start making 27. The fourth one, you just have 81. Yeah. 81 per <laughs> stuff. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, that that is really funny. And I who knows? Maybe it is a warp world thing or something like that. You know, you can if you get this into play with lands and a tireless tracker or provisioner, like that's a lot of cardboard. It's a lot of cardboard. Yeah. Uh, the other card I wanted to mention was Nettle Cyst. Yeah. Which is a card this was on my really honorable like. mention too. Yeah. It's a three mana artifact equipment with living weapon. Uh, and a quick creature gets plus almost one for each artifact and or enchantment you control with equip two. So it's kind of like cranial plating, except for it's a construct essentially. But it counts your Urza Sagas too, because they're It enchantments. also counts your Urza Saga. <laughs> and I mean, if the creature, if the germ ever dies, you can move it over. Yep. Yeah, it, uh, it like does that Master of Ethereum thing, but it also has some cranial plating flavor to it. It's pretty good. It's really good. It's seen play in Legacy, uh, just as part of the Affinity decks, mm -hmm. along with Thought Monitor, I think is the name of that blue Thoughtcast creature. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously this card's going to be better when you have Ancient Tomb in your format. Right, right, right. But even still, I have seen some modern Affinity decks like that play the Sojourner be interested in this card. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just another good payoff that I I like having in the format. Yeah, yeah, it's very strong. I, I do think this card is quite good. 
I think it's certainly the type of payoff I would prefer in the format over Urza Saka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it does require... It, it requires yeah. more. Yeah, and mana. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have an overrated card in my section, although I think pretty much everybody has come around on this being just an unplayable Magic the Gathering card, which is Void Mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw a screenshot of Justin playing KCI <laughs> uh, which in Vintage, which is a, a Vicious Workshop deck. His opponent had Void Mirror in play, which wasn't countering anything because there was a seed of the, it's an artifact land deck, mm-hmm. so you've got a million colored mana sources. Uh, and then his opponent just like Force of Vigor, killing Scrap Trawler and something, and the Force of Vigor was countered <laughs> by his opponent's own Void Mirror because it wasn't it wasn't cast with right. Mana. Yeah, I, I don't think this card really does anything. It certainly doesn't do anything against like, oh, they have all colorless spells. Like the best. Use, I think, is, like, if there's specific no-mana-cost spells you're worried about, or, you know, it. if you're playing against Warp World, I can never, I can't remember what that card is called. I'm just going to keep... Glimpse, for, Glimpse, of, Glimpse tomorrow. of Tomorrow. If you're playing against Glimpse of Tomorrow, you know, this is a hate card for Glimpse of Tomorrow. Like, that's the weird stuff that it'll do. This is not a hate card for Tron. Just play Damping Sphere. Like, please, for the love of God. I've seen this in some modern sideboards against decks with weaknesses to like living end. And I think it's like yeah. justifiable there. You can do that technically. And though I wouldn't recommend like having this in your sideboard as a plan against Eldrazi Tron, if you've already got them in your sideboard mm-hmm. for other reasons, and I mean Eldrazi Tron right now only plays like five lands that produce colored mana, just throw them in there. Like you might grab them. You might get them. Yeah. But it's not it's not very good as as no. a card generally. No. The fact that Expedition Map exists and can grab anything is just... You know. Yep. And most colors do have a hate card against Living End that has way more general applicability. Yeah, they do. Way better. I, I would advise against this card for sure, but I, I think everyone's kind of come around yeah. on that. Yeah. Whew. I think we did it. Do you want to do a, an overall top five? I don't think it's that exciting. It's like... We don't have to. It's just like <laughs> my top one. I don't know. It's Urza Saga, up an Elemental or two stuff. I don't know. Asmore. I've got one. I'll read mine. All right, you, you can want. read yours. So I've got like my overall top five for this sure. set. Is, is number five, Solitude. It's the only Elemental mm-hmm. in my top five. Because I think it's the best one. Uh, I'll do a sub note. Let's do the elemental rankings because because <laughs> I've got solitude, grief, endurance, fury, subtlety. Okay. I also have subtlety last and solitude first, and I think I just I actually have like endurance second. But this is really just how you interpret like hate card versus general applicability card. Like it's just endurance is going to be a blowout many times, and it's very flexible. So I think mine is like. Solitude, Endurance, like, Grief. Although I don't know how to rate that one because we have to see if it actually, like, comes out and does the thing that it is threatening to do. And then Fury and and Subtlety is just, like, has very specific applications that may not be good enough for a while. But they're all going to do things, certainly. Like, Subtlety is going to... You're going to... Some amount of... Stoneblade decks are going to want that. Some amount of blue decks are just going to be like, this is my best tool against Amulet Titan. Just need to buy that turn and, you know, or they 
like if they spent a turn summoners pacting and then cast primeval titan and then you spend zero mana to subtlety it and then they have to pay for their their summoners pack like that's really good so they all have uses uh number four overall for me is ragavan great card love it yep number three overall would be abundant harvest okay because i'm very high on abundant harvest (laughs) (laughs) and number two and one are kind of predictable i think number two is just asmore slash cookbook Mm -hmm. and number one is urza saga yep I mean, yeah, my number one is absolutely Urza Saga. I think just that is the only member of the S tier of this set. And then the rest are like actually A plus tier. Right. The rest are characters <laughs> like like the Urza Saga is the like Nintendo 64 Pikachu of the set. It's just clearly way better than the rest of the cards. My I guess the other members of my thing, I, I think it's like I actually have like Ragavan and J- Dragon's Rage Channeler on there. Like, Channeler has just looked nutty every time that I've seen it. It's just so good, so early, overwhelms your opponent with damage while it's providing you with card selection. And I'm just, like, really down for that card. It seems crazy good. And then, I don't know, just, like, Counterspell or something. Counterspell for Modern, <laughs> Murktide Regent for Legacy, maybe. Okay. I So, like, kind of to sum up the set, I think the set is... First of all, really cool. I would love Modern Horizons 3. Mm. I, I love these sets. Uh, and this set is full of so many good cards. It is still surprising to me that there is a card above, like clearly above to me, mm-hmm. all of these good cards. Yes. I mean, yeah, we got a cycle of free spells. And then there's, I mean, a land is also kind of a free thing but there's a card that's better than our cycle of free spells by like quite a bit one of the major emotions along with grief and fury is of course urza saga (laughs) a fundamental human feeling of (laughs) i mean at least for magic players it feels like just a sinking feeling in your stomach that's urza's saga every time someone screen caps a incorrect banner restricted announcement (laughs) that's urza saga right there I'm excited to play with this set. I, I do want to make one quick comment about... I don't know what's the way to do set releases, man. I know that Arena sucks. And I like I know that the Arena economy is awful. But getting cards on Magic Online when a set has just come out is just a dis- disastrous experience. I have Mana Traders. Really I have a card rental service. I can't play Urza Saga. I like I recognized at the beginning like all I want to do is play Urza Saga decks. As I started like I I put together a deck that I wanted to try out. Urza Saga was 16 ticks at the time. I saw they didn't have any so I was like, "Okay, I'll wait. I'll see." I didn't I just didn't think like I should buy cards because I don't buy cards. That's why I have a rental service. So, I just like kept refreshing. They never got it in stock. The price kept on going up. Two hours later, it was 26 ticks. The next day, it was 40 ticks. And then a day after that, it was 70 ticks. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? I'm not, I don't want to spend $300 on a playset of a digital card. That's why I pay for a rental service, but they can't have it in stock because everybody's playing this card. And yes, Urza Saga is kind of a special case, but this happens every release. Every card that comes out that is good at any mythic rare that's good in modern is 70 ticks on moto for a while. 
it's not functional. It doesn't work. So don't tell me that like Magic Online is so much better for its economy and stuff. Like this doesn't fun this isn't functional. I literally can't no. play it with Urza Saga, the most important card in modern. Yeah, neither of Watsi's digital things are like have a reasonable economy. Yeah. They just manifest in different ways. Right. And the worst part of Magic Online is without doubt uh release especially release day which is like wednesday after the patch is like all right nothing's in the store yet but you've been saving treasure chests right yeah rip those things open there's a chance for cards to be in there yeah, i opened all it's of my like, chests i got a solitude and a fury and i sold them immediately and it's like uh this is what we're doing every wednesday after set drops that's kind of weird uh, but okay and then you see Ragavan selling for like 150 tickets right. uh, on Wednesday when the patch drops. And it's so it's, just... it's so awful for content creators, especially. I'm not we're not affected by this. I don't really. I, I mean, I had considered I would have loved to do some modern streaming, but I just like wasn't. If you had cards, yeah. right? Yeah. It, but I just wasn't really going to do it. So it did kind of affect me in that way. But I mostly wanted to play for fun, not for like it's not my job or anything. But everyone the modern streamers, Aspiring Spike, Doomwake, like everybody who makes modern Magic the Gathering content is like, they don't have any choice. They just got to buy these cards and they cost infinite and they won't cost infinite a week later. And it's stupid. Uh, the worst part is that I saw stories of streamers like just buying treasure chests. Yeah. <laughs> Which hoping. is because like no one had cards. Right. Just kind of hoping. And then there's just tweets about, like, I've got one Ragavan. Like, who needs this? I need Solitudes. Like, which, like, I guess goes, like, now we're schoolyard trading magic cards for magic cards. But, like, it sucks. So the problem with that schoolyard trading magic cards for magic cards is, like, I mean, that's neat. Cool, mm -hmm. right? Old, the old times. But it's also on Twitter. Yeah. With a huge network of people, it shouldn't be an issue right. to find four Ragavans for a tournament but, with thousands of people online. But when it's only treasure chests, there are only like four Ragavans, so they were really hard to get. It was it was not just schoolyard trading magic cards for magic cards. It was like alpha, where like there's probably only one Black Lotus in the state. Is how we've planned this Magic <laughs> the Gathering game out. <laughs> Only the regional area of the Pacific Northwest gets Mox Ruby. <laughs> yeah, so it sucks. The economy on Arena sucks. Economy on Moto sucks. Uh, especially, it like really dampens the excitement of a new set. I would love to play Modern. I only want to play Urza Saga decks. I can't do it. I, I, what am I supposed to do? Like, can't they just release tokens? Like the collection unlocking tokens. Mm -hmm. Whenever a new set drops just to give people like the itch, the taste, yeah. just make them available for a week. That way rental services and limited events get a chance to stock up and get cards out there. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, you can actually you know play the cards and you don't own them. Yeah. So... I mean, they must, I, I'm sure that they benefit massively financially oh, from yeah, this. Sure. So that's enough. That's going to make that like kind of, everybody's going to buy way more packs or like draft more or whatever if a bunch of the cards are worth 70 ticks so they're never they have no incentive to change it but it's really player unfriendly anyways this episode's gone on long enough is it time for me to actually get some food today? yes it is time for you to go get some food <laughs> <laughs> all right we can we can end the episode three. all right 
Thanks for sticking with us this long. I hope you enjoyed our Modern Horizons 2 set review. Really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us online on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. That's it for us. Have a great week. Yeah, I just want to clarify in case anyone was worried. CCR doesn't make me skip meals. I just happen to work. That's all. (laughs) Thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs)